The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams starring Peter Jones as the book there is a theory which states that if ever anyone discovers exactly what the universe is for and why it is here it will instantly disappear and be replaced by something even more bizarrely inexplicable there is another theory which states that this has already happened. There is yet a third theory which suggests that both of the first two theories were concocted by a wily editor of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in order to increase the level of universal uncertainty and paranoia and so boost the sales of the guide. This last theory is of course the most convincing because The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the only book in the whole of the known universe to have the words Don't Panic inscribed in large friendly letters on the cover. Ursa Minor is almost certainly the most appalling place in the universe. Though it is excruciatingly rich, horrifyingly sunny, and more full of wonderfully exciting people than a pomegranate is of pips, it can hardly be insignificant that when a recent edition of the magazine Play Being headlined an article with the words, When you are tired of Ursa Minor, you are tired of life, the suicide rate in the constellation quadrupled overnight. Play Being, a curious journal devoted in roughly equal parts to galactic politics, rock music and gynaecology, has much to answer for in this respect. The current edition carries the results of an opinion poll in which the central offices of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy have been voted the third hippest place in the whole of Ursa Minor. According to this same poll, the second hippest place in the whole of Ursa Minor is the entrance lobby to the same offices. This is what it sounds like. Hey, hi, man. Hi, man. How's it going, man? Oh, great, man. Uh, stay cool. Yeah. Hello? Yes? Megadodo Publications, home of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the most wholly remarkable book in the whole of the known universe. Can I help you? What? Yes, yeah, I passed your message on to Mr. Zani Whoop, but I'm afraid he's too cool to see you right now. He's on an intergalactic cruise. Yeah, yeah, he is in his office, but he's on an intergalactic cruise. And according to this same poll in Play Being, the hippest place in the whole galaxy is the left cranium of the fugitive galactic president, Zephard Beeblebrox. Just entering the air traffic space of Ursa Minor Meter is an enormous Acturan megafreighter carrying a larger number of copies of Play Being than the mind can comfortably conceive. Ursa Minor Beta Air Traffic Control, this is AMF 3 requesting homing beacon for Planetfall. Come in control. Ursa Minor Beta ADC receiving you. Beacon activated. Automatic docking will proceed in two hours. I acknowledge. Thank you, ATC. Oh, makes you sick, doesn't it, Captain? What? Look at the Vizi screen. See that big white city there? The whole blooming thing is just hitchhikers' offices. Palm trees and so many swimming pools, you need a bloody gondola to get about. Well, that's success for you, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Well, I ask myself, all gone soft, haven't they? Hitchhiking, what do they know about it? 
Get one of that lot to stick out their thumb, it would probably fall off. I mean, it's all just fat cat business. What's the name of that bloke who runs it now? Uh, Maxwell Cat. Well, you know what they say, don't you? They had to move to a bigger planet because he got so fat he kept sliding off the old one. I mean, I've heard, you know, I've heard they've created a whole electronically synthesized universe in one of their offices so they can go and research stories during the day and still go to parties in the evening. Yeah, bloody clever, of course, but it's got nothing to do with the real galaxy, is it? Nothing to do with life. Talk a lot, didn't you? Yeah, well, there's not much else to do in these ships, is there? Great automated monsters. I've had three buttons to press in the past 500 light years, and that was just to put the coffee machine onto manual. Docking one hour, 54 minutes. Peter and out. Actually, I just picked up a hitchhiker. You what? Odd block. He was in a bad way. He was hitching the hard way, see. So I said to myself... Starting in one hour, 52 minutes. Kevin and out. Well, look, who is he? I don't know. Didn't give his name and he'd wrapped his heads in a towel, so I... Heads? Yes, just the two. I put them in the sleeping quarters oh. to recover. I've recovered... Who the hell are you? Don't ask. But Turn the radio on. What? Now, look Turn the radio on. Look, if it'll help you to do what I tell you, baby, imagine that I've got a blaster ray in my hand. You have got a blaster ray in your hand. So you shouldn't have to tax your imagination too hard. Turn it on. And news reports brought to you here on the Sub-Ether Wave Band, broadcasting around the galaxy, around the clock, bringing light and enlightenment to all non-evolved life forms, saying a big hello to all semi-evolved life forms, and causing severe brain damage to anyone higher up the evolutionary ladder than a demented bee. But first, the up-to-the-minute shock news. Reports have just reached us that Zephard Bebobrox, the only man in history to terminate his term as galactic president by stealing a spaceship he was meant to be launching, has finally met his end. Yes, the Big Z is now finally Big D-E-A-D. We asked his private brain care specialist, Gag Halfront, if this was just a publicity stunt. Well, Zephod's just this guy, you know. But what about these reports which say that Zephod Bebobrox has been eaten by Hagenenon? Well, he's an impetuous fellow, you know. And is now seriously dead? Who can say? Hagenenons are, are they not, uh, super-evolutionary life forms? That is to say, they can re-evolve into any shape in a matter of seconds. They are crazy mixed-up animals, you know. And it was while this Hagenenon had temporarily evolved into the form of the ravenous bug-bladder beast of trial that he ate Zephod Bebelbrox. Well, this is what we find. So it will be true to say that Zephod Bebelbrox is finally dead. True, but probably unimportant. And why is that? Well, Zephod's just this guy, you know. And now some news from some of the outlying regions. Regions of the galaxy, a report out today from the Western Spiral Arm says that the wheel is commercially unviable. Economic experts... Look, uh, sorry I had to wave this blaster at you, but as you just heard, I've had a bad day. What? You mean that's you? Yeah. You do lead an interesting life, don't you, Mr. Beeblebrox? It is, of course, perfectly natural to assume that everyone else is having a far more exciting time than you. Human beings, for instance, have a phrase which describes this phenomenon... The other man's grass is always greener. The Sheltonek race of Broopkidron 13 had a similar phrase, but since their planet is somewhat eccentric, botanically speaking, the best they could manage was the other Sheltonek's dupleberry shrub is always a more mauve shade of pinky russet. And so the expression soon fell into disuse, and the Sheltonaks had little option but to become terribly happy and contented with their lot, much to the surprise of everyone else in the galaxy, who had not realised that the best way not to be unhappy is not to have a word for it. Arthur Dent is, of course, terribly unhappy. 
As is now well recorded, he and Ford Prefect escaped from the planet Earth on the day that it was unexpectedly demolished to make way for a new hyperspace bypass. Bypasses are devices which allow some people to dash from point A to point B very fast, whilst other people dash from point B to point A very fast. People living at sea, being a point directly in between, are often given to wonder what's so great about point A that so many people from point B are so keen to get there. And what's so great about point B that so many people from point A are so keen to get there? They often wish that people would just once and for all work out where the hell they want to be. Arthur Dent and Ford Prefect know exactly where they don't want to be. They don't want to be stranded on prehistoric Earth with a load of unwanted telephone sanitizers and advertising executives who have been thrown off their home planet of Golga Frinsham, a world which has subsequently been wiped out by a particularly virulent disease contracted from an unexpectedly dirty telephone. Unfortunately, that is precisely where they are. But fortunately, they have found a way of coping with their predicament. They are drunk. Dingo's kidneys. There must be some way of getting off this planet other than getting high. You've been saying that for two years. Well, have I? Well, it must be true, then. You've got all that electric hitchhiking equipment in your satchel, and none of it seems to do a dicky bird. We're just too far from the space lanes. The range is limited. Wait. I've got it. What, an answer? Why, it's a lateral thinking problem, isn't it? Hmm? We just have to sidle up to the problem sideways when it's not looking and pounce. Well? I just knocked the bottle of wine over. Well, have you got an answer? No, but I've got a different name for the problem. Oh, let's have a drink. Here's another bottle. Yes, all right. No, no, look, every time we get to this point, we just have another drink till we're totally slamied, and the next day start all over with... What's the with... matter? Arthur. Look. What are you looking at? Yeah, it's only a bloody spaceship, isn't it? It's only hovering in the air a hundred yards from us. It looks very unreal, doesn't it? Mm. Sort of ghostly. Yeah. We've been rescued! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's celebrate. Pass that bottle. Right, here. It... Where did it go? What, the bottle? No, the spaceship. What? It's gone. The bloody thing's gone. Where did it go? It just sort of winked out of existence. Vanished. Here. What? Take the bottle, I can't face it. Ford? Yeah? It's there again. So it is. Well, what's going on? It just came again. Pop. It comes and goes like magic. I'll tell you our trouble, mate. We're too sober by half. Come on, I will have that drink. I think I just... Christ, it's gone again. What is it? Some kind of deputation from Galactic Alcoholics Anonymous? What do you mean by that? Well, haven't you noticed? Every time I put down the bottle, it appears. And every time I pick it up again, it disappears. Look, look, I put it down... There it is. It's back again. I pick it up and poof. It's gone. Here? Gone. Here? Gone. See? It works. But that's mad. Well, mad it may be, mate, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not touching another drop of your filthy elderflower stuff till we're safely out of this solar system. That's it. I've got it. It's an intelligence test. Yes. No. 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 No, it isn't. It isn't at all. B because, because that suggests someone's doing it deliberately, and that's mm -hmm. not it. Oh. No, no, no. There's a time paradox going on. Mm -hmm. We're caught at the crossroads of two alternative futures. You oh. see? No. 
No, I thought you wouldn't. Listen, the ship first appeared when I said, you know, let's actually sit down and work out this problem of getting off this planet, right? Yes. And then every time we reached for the bottle instead, or just expected the problem to solve itself, the ship disappeared. Right. So, in one of the alternative futures, we work out a way of signalling to a ship, which then returns through time to pick us up. And in the other alternative, we just get drunk and ignore the problem, so no solution, no ship. I wonder what Rooster would do. Who's Rooster? Mate of mine. Another researcher on the guide. Great little thinker, Rooster. Great hitcher. He's a guy who really knows where his towel is. Knows what? Where his towel is. Why should you want to know where his towel is? Everybody should know where his towel is. I think your head's come undone. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has this to say on the subject of towels. A towel, it says, is about the most massively useful thing any interstellar hitchhiker can carry. For one thing, it has great practical value. You can wrap it around you for warmth on the cold moons of Jaglan Beta, sunbathe on it on the marble beaches of Santraginus V, huddle beneath it for protection from the Acturan Meganats as you sleep beneath the stars of Kakrafoon, use it to sail a mini-raft down the slow, heavy river Moth, Wet it for use in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Wrap it round your head to avoid the gaze of the ravenous bug-bladder beast of Trowel, which is such a mind-bogglingly stupid animal, it assumes that if you can't see it, it can't see you. And even dry yourself off with it if it still seems clean enough. Those were the really great days of hitchhiking, of course. A man and his towel pitted against the universe. I mean, that lot down there in them offices, I wouldn't give you an old face flannel for the lot of them. No disrespect to you, of course, Mr. Beeblebrox. Mr. President, sir, you're a different... Talk a lot, don't you? How soon till we dock at Ursa Minor Beta? Uh, 30 minutes. Okay. Now, I can't risk being found in this freighter. I'd better go down on one of your EVA pods. Should slip under the radar screens, okay? Thanks for the ride, guys. But, say, why are you going to Ursa Minor Beta if you want to stay hidden? I just wanted to find out what I'm doing. What? Well, last night, after I escaped from the Hagunana... Oh, yeah, how did shh, you... Shh, 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 I went, like, into a, a deep coma and got this message from a person I admire, respect, and deeply love. Who was that, then? Me. What? A message from yourself? Yeah, it was a message I'd implanted in my own mind 20 years ago, which was triggered off by the coma. And it just told me that the time had come, and I had to go and see this dude I'd never heard of who would tell me something to my disadvantage. Disadvantage? Yeah, so I had to go, didn't I? Why don't you tie a knot in your hanky like anyone else? Style, friend, style. Now, come on, I gotta go. No, but can I just ask you... Yeah, what is it? That Hagunenon ate you... How did you escape? <laughs> oh, no problem. It was a super-evolving species, right? Yes. It ate me whilst it was playing at being the ravenous bug-bladder beast of Trowel. And then, like seconds later, made the mistake of re-evolving into a really neat little escape capsule. It evolved into an escape capsule? Yeah. But that is really incredible. Yeah. I can't help it if I'm lucky. <laughs> Several hours later, five billion tons of play-being magazine were unloaded on Ursa Minor Beta, causing a slight but largely irrelevant shift in its orbital trajectory. A few hours later still, Zephod Beeblebrox, the owner of what play-being readers had deemed the hippest place in the universe, 
walked into the entrance lobby of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, deemed merely the second hippest place in Ursa Minor. Zephod Beeblebrox does not like Ursa Minor either. Okay, where's Zani Whoop? Get me Zani Whoop. Excuse me, sir. Zani Whoop, get him, right? Get him now. Well, sir, if you could be a little cool about it. Look, I... I'm up to here with cool, okay? I am so amazingly cool. You could keep a side of meat in me for a month. I am so hip, I have difficulty seeing over my pelvis. Now, will you move before I blow it? Well, if you'd let me explain, sir. I'm afraid that isn't possible right now, as Mr. Zani Whoop is on an intergalactic cruise. When's he going to be back? Back, sir. Well, he's in his office. This cat's on an intergalactic cruise in his office? Yes, sir. Listen, Three Eyes, don't you try to outweird me. I get stranger things than you free with my breakfast cereal. Well, just who do you think you are, honey? Zaphod Beeblebrox or something? Yeah, count the heads. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but... What did you say? Oh, photons. You are Zaphod Beeblebrox? Yeah, but don't shout it. all all want one. The Zaphod Beeblebrox? No, just a Zaphod Beeblebrox. Didn't you hear? I come in six packs. But, sir, I, I, it was on the sub-ether radio this morning. It said you were dead. Yeah, that's right. I just haven't stopped moving yet. Now, where do I find Zani Whoop? Well, sir, his office is on the fifth floor. But, but he's, he's on, on an intergalactic cruise. Yeah, yeah. How do I get to him? Well, the newly installed Sirius Cybernetics elevators are in the far corner, sir. Sirius Cybernetics? Oh, Zarquan, haven't they collapsed yet? Sir, um, can I ask why you want to see Mr. Zani Whoop? Yeah, I told myself I needed to. Come again, sir. I came to myself in a dream and said, go see Zani Whoop. Never heard of the cat before, but I seemed very insistent. Oh, Mr. Beeblebrock, sir, you're so weird you should be in pictures. Yeah, baby, and you should be in real life. It will take Zephard Beeblebrox at least 30 seconds to cross the entrance lobby of the hitchhiker offices, and at least another three minutes will then elapse before the offices are finally bombed to bits. It would therefore seem an appropriate moment to recount that Trillian also effected a fortuitous escape from the Hagunennons, only to be carried off and forcibly married to the president of the Algolian chapter of the Galactic Rotary Club. Whilst Marvin, the paranoid android, has survived a remarkable and unwieldy series of adventures which he has never been able satisfactorily to explain and has now, by the most amazing coincidence, arrived exactly here. Excuse me. Uh, yes, sir. Can I help you? I doubt it. Oh, well, in that case, if you'll just no excuse me. No one can help me. Yes, sir. Well, Not I... that anyone's ever tried, of course. Is that so? Hardly worth anyone's while, really, is it? I'm sorry, sir, but if you have... percentage in being kind or helpful to a robot if it doesn't have any gratitude circuit. And you don't have any. I've never had occasion to find out. Listen to me, you miserable heap of maladjusted metal. you ask me what I want? Is it worth it? Is anything. What do you want? I'm looking for someone. Who? Zephard Beeblebrox. He's just walking over there. Ah, then why did you ask me? I just wanted someone to talk to. What? Oh. <laughs> Pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, Marvin! How did you get here? Don't ask. But hey, you crazy psychotic cybernaut, how are you, kid? I'm all right if you happen to like that sort of thing, which personally I don't. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Hello, Lyft. I am to be your elevator for this trip to the floor of your choice. I have been designed by the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation to take you, the visitor to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, into these, their offices. If you enjoy your ride, which will be swift and pleasurable, 
then you may care to experience some of the other elevators which have recently been installed in the offices of the Galactic Tax Department, Boobaloo Baby Foods, and the Syrian State Mental Hospital, where many ex-Syrious Cybernetics Corporation executives will be delighted to welcome your visits, sympathy, and happy tales of life out in the big wide world. Yeah, what else do you do besides talk? I go up or down. Good, we're going up. Or down. Yeah. Okay, up, please. Down's very nice. Oh, yeah? Super. Good. Now, will you take us up? May I ask if you've considered all the possibilities that down might offer you? Like what? Well, uh, there's the basement, uh, the microfiles, uh, the heating system. Nothing particularly exciting, I'll admit, but they are alternative possibilities. Oh, Zarquan's knees. Did I ask for an existential elevator? What's the matter with the thing? It doesn't want to go up. I think it's afraid. Of what? Heights? An elevator that's afraid of heights? Of the future. The future? What does it want? A pension scheme? All serious cybernetics elevators can see into the future. It's part of our programming. Going down. Marvin, just get this elevator to go up, will you? We've got to get to Zani Whoop. Why? I don't know, but when I find him, he'd better have one hell of a good reason for me wanting to see him. It should be explained at this point that modern elevators are strange and complex entities. The ancient electric winch and maximum capacity eight persons jobs bear as much relation to a serious cybernetics corporation happy vertical people transporter as a packet of peanuts does to the entire west wing of the Syrian state mental hospital. This is because they operate on the unlikely principle of defocused temporal perception. A curious system which enables the elevator to be on the right floor to pick you up even before you knew you wanted it, thus eliminating all the tedious chatting, relaxing and making friends that people were previously forced to do whilst waiting for elevators. Not unnaturally, many lifts imbued with intelligence and precognition became terribly frustrated with the mindless business of going up or down, experimented briefly with the notion of going sideways as a sort of existential protest, demanded participation in the decision-making process, and finally took to sulking in basements. At this point, a man called Gorilla Mincefriend rediscovered and patented a device he had seen in a history book called a staircase. It has been calculated that his most recent tax bill paid for the social security of 5,000 redundant serious cybernetics workers, the hospitalization of 100 serious cybernetics executives, and the psychiatric treatment of over 17,500 neurotic lifts. Fifth floor, and remember, I'm only doing this because I like your robot. Thanks, a bundle. Hey, what's that noise? I expect it's the future that I was so worried about, and it's about to get worse. So if you don't mind, I'm going straight back down. Bye now. Left in the lurch by a lift. Hey, you know something, Marvin? More than you can possibly imagine. I'm dead certain this building shouldn't be shaking. Either they've got some vibro system for tuning up your muscles while you work, or the building's being bombed. Who in the galaxy would want to bomb a publishing company? Another publishing company? Over here! No, Beeblebrock's over here. Who are you? A friend. Oh, yeah? Anyone's friend in particular or just generally well disposed to people? Did you know your building's being bombed? What do you expect? 
ever since you arrived on this planet last night, you've been going round telling people that you're safe at Beeblebrox, but they're not to tell anyone else. Well, I'm very insecure. So's this planet now. What is that? A whole battle fleet out there. It's your government out to get you, Beeblebrox. They've sent a squadron of Frogstar fighters. Frogstar fighters? Zarkmon! You see the picture? What are Frogstar fighters? Get down! That was a Frogstar fighter? No, that was a Frogstar scout robot out looking for you. Yeah? Hey, what was that? That was a Frogstar scout robot Class B out looking for you. Hey, yeah. And that? A Frogstar robot Class C out looking for you. Pretty stupid robots, huh? <laughs> yeah. Holy Frogstar, what was that? A Frogstar robot Class D. I should imagine it's just picked up the reports from the first three and has come to get you. Well, we've got to get out of here. Marvin? What, what do you want? See that robot coming towards us? I suppose you want me to stop it? Yeah. Once you save your skins? Yeah. Down this way. Zarniwoop's office. Is this the time to keep an appointment? It's our only hope of escape. He's got a whole different universe in his office. Marvin, it's all yours. Thanks, Sahib. Out of my way, little robot. I'm afraid I've been left here to stop you. You? Stop me? Go on. No, really, I have. What are you armed with? Guess. Guess? Yes, go on, you'll never guess. Um... Laser beam? No. No, 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 no. Too obvious, I suppose. Um... Um... How about an electron ram? What's that? One of these. No, not one of those. Good though, isn't it? Very good. I, I know, I know. It must be... Honestly, with, with twirls, you know, whoosh. Um... No, you're thinking along the wrong lines, you know. You're failing to take into account something fairly basic in the relationship between men and robots. Oh, 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 I know, I know, I've, I've seen them. Uh, they're oh, quite big. Um, no, look, uh, no, just think. They left me an ordinary menial robot to stop you, a gigantic heavy-duty battle machine, whilst they ran off to save themselves. What do you think they would leave me with? Well, something pretty damn devastating, I would expect. Expect? Oh, yes, expect. I'll tell you what they gave me to protect myself with, shall I? Yes, all right. Nothing. What? Nothing at all. Not an electronic sausage. Whoa! Doesn't that just take the biscuit? And me with this terrible pain in all the diodes down my left side. Yeah? Oh, that makes me angry. Think I'll smash that wall down. That's very impressive. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. I can take this floor out too. No trouble. Oh dear. Depressingly stupid machine. The building's on fire. You certainly make an entrance, don't you, Beeblebox? Well, it's a terrible building anyway. How do we get to this universe then? 
I'm afraid it looks like we just... Hey, hey, what? The building's cracking down the middle. Yes, that's not all. Look down at the ground. The ground's going away. Where are they taking it? They're not. They're taking the building. We're airborne. Look, what have I done to deserve this? I walk into a building, they take it away. Let me introduce myself. My name's Rooster, and this is my towel. Hi, Rooster. Hello, towel. Where are they taking us? The Frog Star. Who is the mysterious Rooster? Who is the even more mysterious Zani Whoop? And why hasn't he even appeared yet? What will Zaphod's bewildering mission turn out to be? Will it be something he finds stimulating and challenging? Or will it just be a monster wanting to take over the universe for no very good reason? How long will Ford and Arthur have to stay on the wagon? And when will they be reunited with everyone else in the story? Tune into the next exasperating series of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and find out. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book. Simon Jones, Arthur Dent, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect and Frogstar Robot, Stephen Moore, Marvin, Mark Wing-Davy, Zaphod Beeblebrox, Bill Patterson, Assistant Arcturan Pilot, David Tate, the Captain, the Receptionist and the Lift, and Alan Ford, Looster. Radiophonic sound and music by Paddy Kingsland and further technical jiggery-pokery by John Whitehall and Alec Hale Munro. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins. The magazine, Play Being, can be obtained over-the-counter from any moderately disreputable galactic newsagent. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams starring Peter Jones as The Book. Notwithstanding, the universe continues unabated. Its history is terribly long and awfully difficult to understand, even in its simpler moments, which are, roughly speaking, the beginning and the end. The wave harmonic theory of historical perception, in its simplest form, states that history is an illusion caused by the passage of time, and that time is an illusion caused by the passage of history. It also states that one's perception of these illusions is conditioned by three important factors. Who you are, where you are, and when you last had lunch with Zaphod Beeblebrox. 
Zephod Beeblebrox's last meal was taken at the restaurant at the end of the universe. Since when he has been catapulted through time in a Hagunenon spaceship, eaten by a carbon copy of the ravenous bug bladder beast of Kral, received strange and unedifying instructions from himself in his sleep and in consequence made his way to the office building of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was then unaccountably attacked by a squadron of Frogstar fighters, hauled in its entirety off the surface of the planet and is now carrying Zaphod and his mysterious new friend Rooster in the general direction of the even more mysterious Frogstar. He is, therefore, not unnaturally feeling a little peckish. Is there anything to eat in this situation? Here, Zaphod, suck this. You want me to suck your towel? The yellow stripes are high in protein. The green ones have vitamin B and C complexes, and the little pink flowers contain wheat germ extract. What are the brown stains? Barbecue sauce. It tastes as bad as it looks. Yes, when I've had to suck that end a bit, I usually need to suck the other end too. Why, what's in that? Antidepressants. Much has been written on the subject of towels, most of which stresses the many practical functions they can serve for the modern hitchhiker. Two seminal books are Wordle Sneng's Compendious Tome, Bath Sheets in Space, which is far too large to carry but sits magnificently on fashionable coffee tables, and Frat Gad's handbook, Heavily Modified Face Flannels, an altogether terse work for masochists. However, only the Hitchhiker's Guide explains that the towel has a far more important psychological value in that anyone who can hitch the length and breadth of the galaxy, rough it, slum it, struggle against mind-boggling odds, win through and still know where his towel is, is clearly a man to be reckoned with. Hence a phrase which has passed into hitchhiking slang as in, Hey, you sass that hoopy Ford Prefect, there's a prude who really knows where his towel is. Sass means know, be aware of, meet, have sex with. Hoopy means really together guy, and frood means really amazingly together guy. Meanwhile, important questions are beginning to frame themselves in Zephod Beeblerox's mind. Hey, uh, Rooster, where did you say this building was flying to? The Frogstar, the most totally evil place in the galaxy. Do they have uh, food there? Food? Have you the faintest idea what's going to happen to you at the Frogstar? They're going to feed me? They're going to feed you all right. Great. They're going to feed you into the total perspective vortex. The total perspective vortex? Hey, what's that, man? <laughs> Only the most savage psychic torture a sentient being can undergo. So no food, huh? The treatment lasts one second, but the effects last your lifetime. You ever had a pangalactic goggle blaster? This is worse! Free yow! Ah, oh, hello there! You must be Zephod Beeblebrox, yes? Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, who are you? Oh, uh, I'm the Frogstar Prisoner Relations Officer, and I'm just popping by... How did you get here? Oh, the usual thing. Work my way up the ranks. No, no, no. I mean, how did you get here? <laughs> you, you just uh, popped out of nowhere like a large drinks bill. I know. Disconcerting, isn't it? Look, I just popped along to see how you were getting on. Enjoying the trip? No, not at all. Oh, well, it'll soon be over. We should be arriving at the Frogstar in an hour or so. It is, as you may know, the most totally evil place in the galaxy. Even I find it pretty horrifying, and I'm one of the most evil people on it. Yeah. 
Yeah? Oh, yes, you're quite staggeringly nasty. Anyway, enough of me. How about you? Is there anything in particular you want? Be careful. What? This guy is evil. He's from the Frogstar. Ease up, man. He's just asked me if there's anything I wanted. But... Come on, Mr. Beevil Rocks. Uh, Zephyr. <laughs> what would you like? What would you really like? A steak. A big, juicy <laughs> steak. Beef steak? Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. And Some uh, wine? Algolian claret. The 91? The 94. Oh, excellent choice. Anything else? That'll do me just fine. Right. Turn the fire hoses on him. Hey, uh, what? Enjoy your trip. Bye now. <laughs> Don't say that I didn't warn you, Beeble Box. Well, what the hell was the point of all that? They're just playing with you, softening you up. I told you! They're going to put you into the total perspective vortex! What is this thing? What does it do? The principle is very simple. Though the principle on which the total perspective vortex works is indeed very simple, it will not for the moment be revealed. The purpose of this deliberate withholding of vital information is to occasion sensations of suspense, fear and anxiety within the legal limits laid down by the galactic statute of narrative practice. These sensations can be emphasized further by reference to this recording of a man being put in the vortex. And this one. And this one. Provided that equal emphasis is given to the fact that one man in the entire history of the cosmos did survive its effects unharmed. To establish the identity of this man and see how he achieved it, it is now necessary to travel two million years backwards in time to where Ford Prefect and Arthur Dent are stranded in the primeval past of the utterly insignificant planet Earth. They are faced with a problem in that a spaceship which has apparently travelled back in time to rescue them cannot materialise until they have worked out a way of sending a message forward in time to summon it. This is clearly a terribly convoluted temporal paradox of mind-mangling complexity. Perhaps we could wave your towel at it. You know what your trouble is, Arthur? You've got as much grasp of multi-temporal causality as a concussed bee. Ah, oh, you don't think it would work, then? No. That ship hovering there is only a potential ship, the possibility of one. We could still wave at it. Yeah, very friendly, but chronologically inept. Listen. We have to send a message forward in time. Yes. To where that spaceship is going to be. We don't know where. No. We don't know when. No. And anyway, we haven't got a time machine. No. So? You're right. What? We might just as well wave a towel at it. Right. Hello! 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 Spaceship! We're just, We're just here. down here! Cooey! Cooey! Fort! It's coming down. Look, it's coming down to us. I don't believe it. It's impossible. But it's happening. Hey, I don't like the look of that. What? It's wobbling. I think it's going to crash. Fire your retro rockets, you idiot! Too hard! Much too hard! Run after. Run for your life. Make for the hill. What hill? Well, there was a hill there a moment ago. What, that rather nice one with all the daffodils? Damn the daffodils. The whole hill's gone. The ground's heaving beneath us. That ship's causing a bloody earthquake. Look, the hill's come back. It's erupting. We must be on a volcanic fault. What?
Yeah. We flagged down a logically non-existent spaceship with a towel. Yeah, great. Marvellous. Wonderful. Terrific. Tell me, Arthur. Yes? This boulder we're stuck under, how big would you say it was? Roughly. Hmm. About the size of Coventry Cathedral. Do you think we could move it? <laughs> Just asking. Can you feel my rucksack anywhere? Um, hmm. Here. You see... It's in these sorts of situations that it's really good to have a guide to help you. What? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It tells you what to do in any eventuality. What? Even being stuck in a crack in the ground beneath a giant boulder which you can't move with no hope of rescue? Yeah. It'll have something. Watch. What to do if you find yourself stuck in a crack in the ground underneath a giant boulder you can't move with no hope of rescue? Consider how lucky you are that life has been good to you so far. Alternatively, if life hasn't been good to you so far, which, given your current circumstances, seems more likely, consider how lucky you are that it won't be troubling you much longer. It's time I did something about that book. Shame we lost the towel. What happened to it? Blew away in the wind, fell in the river, and a stream of lava rolled over it. <laughs> It'll give the archaeologists something to think about. Prehistoric town discovered in lava flow was God a Marks and Spencer's sales assistant. What are you doing, Arthur? Feeling the rock above my head. It seems to be humming. Humming? Why should a rock hum? Perhaps it feels good about being a rock. No, I mean it's vibrating. As if it's got an engine in it. <laughs> You're crazy. A rock with an engine in Who it? Who would want a motorized rock? Another motorized rock? Look, Ford, it's cracking. There's a hatchway opening underneath it. Wow, this is one strange rock. Look at the light streaming out. Did you ever see anything like that before? Not when I've been in a legal state of mind. Look, a figure silhouetted against the light, coming down the ramp, walking towards us, staggering towards us. It's hard to see so much light. He's in a bad way. He's stumbling towards a crack in the ground. Look, he's going to fall. Look out! You know what I think that is? The faces look familiar. Yeah. It's Zayford. What's he doing coming out of a rock? Well, who says he needs a reason? Well, come on, we've got to help him. Zayford? Hmm. Zayford, you seem to have fallen down a 30-foot hole. I think he knows that. Is he all right? But what does it look like? Zayford? Uh, Zayford, what happened to you? My head hurts. Can you tell me what happened? They took me to the frog star. The frog star? What's the frog star? Shh. I've been in the total perspective vortex. Oh, no. Yeah. What's the total... Quiet. Ford, I'm very ill. Well, if you've been in that thing... Very ill. Very, very ill. What's the vortex? The vortex is the worst thing that can happen to anybody. Oh, no, the vortex was okay, but afterwards... Afterwards? After the vortex? Yeah, well, I had to celebrate, didn't I? I'd been drunk for a week. Oh, my heads are killing me. Look, uh, will you help me? Hi there, guys. This is Eddie, your shipboard computer, welcoming you back on board the starship Heart of Gold. We are currently heading away from planet Earth on improbability drive, and all systems are just tickety-boo. Here we are again, happy as can be. Okay, 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 okay. Well, guys, you must be so amazingly glad to see me, you can't even find words to tell me what a cool fruit I am. What a what? I know how you feel. I'm so great I get tongue-tied talking to myself. Hey, it's good to 
see you, Ford and uh, Monkey Man. Listen, I come from an ancient and distinguished race. Of hairdressers. Thank you, Ford. Hey, Zephyr! Hey, Ford, put it there. Hey! Yeah, and there. Hey! And there. Hey! And there. Hey! Escape from the Hagenemar. Simple, I got lucky. How did you get this ship back? I got lucky. But how did you find us? I got your towel. What? Mailed by meteorite. Hey, that was a really neat trick. How did you do it? Do what? Get the towel fossilized so when the planet blows up, two million years later, it gets hurled off into space and picked up by the improbability drive. Hey? How did you work it all out? We didn't. I just dropped the towel. Oh, so you got lucky too. That's cool. Hey, man, we are going to need a lot of luck where we are going next. Where's that? I'll tell you when you've asked me what happened on the Frogstar. What's the Frogstar? I thought you'd never ask. Many stories are told of Zaphod Beeblebrox's journey to the Frogstar. 10% of them are 95% true, 14% of them are 65% true, 35% of them are only 5% true, and all the rest of them are told by Zaphod Beeblebrox. Only one wholly accurate account exists, and that is locked in a trunk in the attic of Zaphod's favourite mother, Mrs. Alice Beeblebrox of 10 to the 8th Astral Crescent, Zufruzelchester, Beetlejuice 5. Though countless people have tried cajolery, bribery or threats to get hold of it, she has carefully guarded it from all eyes for many years, waiting for what she calls the right price. But one fairly well-documented episode is referred to by Beeblebroxologists as the Hey Rooster, I've just had this really hoopy idea incident. Hey Rooster, I've just had this really hoopy idea. We're in this wrecked building, right? Right. And the building's in this really amazing force bubble, right? Right. And the force bubble's flying through interstellar space, right? Right. And there are seven frog star fighters towing us at about hyperspeed 12 to the frog star, right? It'd better be a good idea, Beeblebrox. Oh, it's a smash! You want to hear it? Okay. Let's go to a discotheque. Are you crazy? What's the matter? Don't you like discotheques? Look, I got this free invite some cat was giving out in the street. Here it is. Ah, I'm with you, Beeblebrox. You reckon we could slide this plastic invite into a door lock, break out of the building, climb into one of the Frogstar fighters, and then maybe overpower all the guards with this terrifying, small, plastic card? Look at the card, will you? Wormhole Disco. Loudest noise on Beetlejuice. Free body debit for one night only. What's a body debit? Oh, you have been roughing it for too long, Rooster. You missed out on progressive consumerism. Look, an old-style credit card, you press the panel on the card, it makes an instant debit on your bank account and an instant credit to the shop's account, right? I prefer hard cash. If you can't scratch a window with it, I don't accept it. Yeah, 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 but get this. Body debit means you press this card and it debits all your molecules from where you're standing and your body goes into credit somewhere else. In the disco. Right. Escape. Yeah. It had better be a good disco. Listen, if it was a good disco, they wouldn't have to give away body debit cards. Right, Rooster, we are going to groove our way out of here. We did it! What did you say? I said we did it! What did you say? What? I said, what did you say? I can't hear! What? 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 Hi there, baby. Hi there, baby. What's a dance? No. Do I look like I want to dance? You look like it to me. I must have got my wrong body on. Suit yourself, then. Hi there, baby. You want to dance? Hi there, baby.
people, bruh. All these dancers, they're robots. They're just to make the place look crowded, give it some atmosphere. But there aren't any real people here at all. So what's new? What's up? I've just walked past this nozzle in the wall. It's spraying the smell of hot sweat over everything. Oh, yeah, okay, let's get out of here. Can you see a door? Yeah, it's right in the far corner. Let's go. You cannot go. You must, you must have, have a good time. You must have a good time. I'm trying to have a good time. I'm trying to go. Turn up the music. Turn up the music. Turn up the music. Turn up the music. Good time I ever had. Oh, still, we're free. Ah, uh, there you are. Splendid. You! Hey, man, how did you get to be here? Me? I came the simple way, down the stairs. Down the stairs? To Ursa Minor? Hey, you must be unbelievably fit. Ah, I'm afraid you're not on, Ursa Minor. We didn't let you out of the building. This has all been a little in-flight entertainment. You call that entertainment? Not for you, for me. <laughs> well, I'm afraid I must leave you now. Oh, and just when I was really getting to dislike you. I feel very privileged to have been able to bring a little unnecessary unpleasantness into your life, Mr. Beeblebrock, sir. Fine. Oh, I wonder if you'd like to sign an autograph for me. An autograph? You must be several light years out of your skull, baby. I have a photo of you here, if you could just see your way. Oh, come on, go suck a neutron star, will you? Oh, please, look, have a look at this one. Hey, 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 that's quite a nice pic. <laughs> Let's see it. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Let's, uh, mm, look with, uh, deep anger and resentment. Say for Okay. Thank you. It's not for my daughter, you understand. It's for me. I have to put it in the Frogsar record office attached to a statement saying that you went into the vortex of your own free will. Baby, I think there's some problem with your respiration. Oh, what? Your breathing. Oh, that's not a problem. It is from where I'm standing. Here, let me tie a knot in your neck. <laughs> if you try and strangle me, Beeblebrox, you'll regret it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not half as much as you will. Well, don't say I didn't warn you. Did you see that? The guy vanished whilst I had my hands round his neck. Oh! Uh, I think I've broken my thumb on my other thumb. Rooster? Rooster, where are you? Beeble Brooks, you are on your own now. You have arrived on the Frogstar. Hey, what? Who are you? I am Gagrava. I am the custodian of the Total Perspective Vortex. Oh, uh, hi. <laughs> Hello? Why can't I see you? Why aren't you here? I am here. At least my mind is. My body wanted to come, but it's a bit busy at the moment. Things to do, people to see. You know how it is with bodies. I thought I did. I hope it's gone in for surgery. The way it's been living recently, it must be on its last elbows. Elbows? You mean its last legs? I know what I mean. Hey, 
wild. So you are to be put into the vortex, yes? Oh, oh yes. well, this cat's in no hurry, you know. I, I can just slouch about, taking a look at the local scenery, you know. Have you seen the local scenery? Uh, no. Ah. Okay, well, I'll just slouch about then. No, the vortex is ready for you now. You must come. Follow me. Uh, yeah. How am I meant to do that? I'll hum for you. Just follow the humming. Okay. Anything for a weird life? The universe, as has been observed before, is an unsettlingly big place, a fact which, for the sake of a quiet life, most people tend to ignore. Many would happily move to somewhere rather smaller of their own devising, and this is what most beings, in fact, do. For instance, in one corner of the eastern galactic arm lies the great forest planet Oglarum, the entire intelligent population of which lives permanently in one fairly small and crowded nut tree, in which tree they are born, live, fall in love, carve tiny speculative articles in the bark on the meaning of life, the futility of death and the importance of birth control, fight a few very minor wars and eventually die strapped to the underside of some of the less accessible outer branches. In fact, the only Oglarunians who ever leave their tree at all are those who are hurled out for the heinous crime of wondering whether any of the other trees might be capable of supporting life at all or indeed be anything other than illusions brought on by eating too many Oglanuts. Exotic though this behavior may seem, there is no life form in the galaxy not in some way guilty of the same thing, which is why the total perspective vortex is as horrific as it undoubtedly is. For when you are put in the vortex, you are given just one momentary glimpse of the size of the entire unimaginable infinity of creation, along with a tiny little marker saying, you are here. Hey, man, what was that? A man being put in the vortex, I'm afraid. We're very close to it now. Hey, it sounds really bad. Couldn't we maybe go to a party or something for a while, think it over? For all I know, I'm probably at what? At my body, that is. It goes to a lot of parties without me. Says I only get in the way. Hey, oh, hey. I can see why it wouldn't want to come here. This place is the dismalest. Looks like a bomb's hit it, you know? Several have. It's a very unpopular place. The vortex is in the heaviest steel bunker ahead of you. The universe does that to a guy? The whole infinite universe. The infinite suns. The infinite distances between them. And yourself, an invisible dot on an invisible dot. Infinitely small. I'm safe on Beeblebrox, man, you know? That is precisely the point. Enter. Okay. What, now? Now. It doesn't look like any kind of a vortex to me. It isn't. It's just the lift. Enter. I got to get myself in the right frame of mind for this. There is no right frame of mind. You really know how to make a guy feel inadequate. I don't. The Vortex does. There. The Vortex. The Total Perspective Vortex. Enter, Beeblebrox. Enter the Vortex. Enter the Vortex. Okay, okay.
Physics derives its picture of the whole universe on the principle of extrapolated matter analyses. To explain, since every piece of matter in the universe is in some way affected by every other piece of matter in the universe, it is in theory possible to extrapolate the whole of creation, every galaxy, every sun, every planet, their orbits, their composition, and their economic and social history from, say, one small piece of fairy cake. The man who invented the total perspective vortex did so basically in order to annoy his wife. Trintragula, for that was his name, was a dreamer, a speculative thinker, or, as his wife would have it, an idiot. And she would nag him incessantly about the utterly inordinate amount of time he would spend staring out into space or mulling over the mechanics of safety pins or doing spectrographic analyses of pieces of fairy cake. Have some sense of proportion, she would say 38 times a day. And so he built the total perspective vortex just to show her. And in one end he plugged the whole of reality as extrapolated from a fairy cake and in the other end he plugged his wife so that when he turned it on she saw in one instant the whole infinity of creation and herself in relation to it. To Trintragula's horror the shock annihilated her brain but to his satisfaction he realized he had conclusively proved that if life is going to exist in a universe this size, the one thing it cannot afford to have is a sense of proportion. And it is into this vortex that Zephard Bibelbrox has been put, and from which a few seconds later, he emerges. Hi. Bibelbrox, you're... Fine, fine. Could I have a drink, please? You've been in the vortex? You saw me, kid. And you saw the whole infinity of creation? The lot, baby. It's a real neat place, you know that? And you saw yourself in relation to it all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did you experience? What did you experience? What did you experience? He just told me what I knew all the time. I'm a really great guy. <laughs> Didn't I tell you, baby? I am Zephard Beeblebrox! Is it really true that Zephard Beeblebrox's ego is as large as the universe? Does this actually have any bearing on anything else in the story, or indeed on anything else at all? Has everyone totally forgotten about the increasingly mysterious Zani Whoop, last heard of taking an intergalactic cruise in his office? Is it worth hanging on to find out the answers to these exasperating questions? Find out in the next unedifying episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent, Geoffrey McGiven was Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davy was Zephod Beeblebrox, Alan Ford was Rooster, David Tate was Eddie and the Frogstar Prison Relation Officer, and Valentine Dial was Gargavar. Radiophonic sound and music was by Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins. Information about package holidays on the Frog Star can be found in the leaflet Sun, Sand and Suffering on the Most Totally Evil Place in the Galaxy.
that a piece of fairy cake? My stomach's just completely out to lunch. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams starring Peter Jones as the book. been through the total perspective vortex, Zephod Bibelbrox now knows himself to be the most important being in the entire universe, something he had hitherto only suspected. It is said that his birth was marked by earthquakes, tidal waves, tornadoes, firestorms, the explosion of three neighboring stars, and shortly afterwards by the issuing of over six and three-quarter million writs for damages from all the major landowners in his galactic sector. However, the only person by whom this is said is Beeblebrox himself, and there are several possible theories to explain this. Ford? Yeah? He's totally mad, isn't he? Well, the border between madness and genius is very narrow. Well, so is the Berlin Wall. The, Ber oh, the Berlin Wall, uh, the border between East and West Germany. It's very narrow. I mean, the point uh, I'm making was is... very narrow. Get your tenses right. Thank you. Anything wrong? On Earth, we have a word. Had a word? had a word called tact. Oh, yeah? Yes. And what happened to it? Well, apparently it's not in common usage except no, no, on Earth. No, not the word. The Earth. You know very well. It got demolished to make way for a hyperspace bypass. Ah, but that was all done away with centuries ago. No one demolishes planets anymore. Well, the Vogons did. Vogons? Yes. Odd, that. You mean they had another reason? Well, it could be. Probably not important, though. I only bring it up because I've been watching the screen. And there's been a Vogon fleet five light years behind us for the last half hour. What? Where's Zaphod? A Vogon fleet? Yeah. Where's Zaphod? Well, he's in his cabin signing photographs of himself. To myself, with frank admiration. But why are the Vogon... Uh, hey, boys? Marvin! What do you want? Give Zaphod a yell, will you? Ah, uh, mind-taxing time again, is it? Just get on with it. I've just worked out an answer to the square root of minus one. Go and get Zaphod. It's never been worked out before. It's always been thought impossible. Go and get... I'm going. Pausing only to reconstruct the whole infrastructure of integral mathematics in his head, he went about his humble task, never thinking to ask for reward, recognition, or even a moment's ease from the terrible pain in all the diodes down his left side. Fetch Beeble Rock, they say, and forth he goes. Service. Don't you think we should do something for him? Hmm. We could rip out his voice box for a start. What are you in such a mood about? I'm worried about them. The Vogons? The Vogons, yeah. Rostetnik Vogon Jelts was not a pleasant sight, even for other Vogons. His highly domed nose rose high above a small piggy forehead. His dark green rubbery skin was thick enough for him to play the game of Vogon politics and play it well, and waterproof enough for him to survive indefinitely at sea depths of up to a thousand feet with no ill effects. Not that he ever went swimming, of course. 
He was the way he was because billions of years ago, when the Vogons had first crawled out of the sluggish primeval seas of Vogsphere and had lain panting and heaving on the planet's virgin shores, when the first rays of the bright young Vogsol sun had shone across them that morning, it was as if the forces of evolution had simply turned away in disgust and given up on them there and then. They never evolved again. They should never have survived. Meanwhile, the natural forces on the planet Vogsphere had been working overtime to make up for their earlier blunder. They brought forth scintillating jeweled scuttling crabs, which the Vogons ate, smashing their shells with iron mallets, and elegant gazelle-like creatures with silken coats and dewy eyes, which the Vogons would catch and sit on. They were no use as transport because their backs would snap instantly, but the Vogons sat on them anyway. They have attempted to acquire learning, they have attempted to acquire style and social grace, but in most respects the modern Vogon is little different from his primitive forebears. Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz is a fairly typical Vogon in that he is thoroughly vile. Is that definitely the ship? Affirmative, Captain. We have confirmed positive identification. Don't answer back. What? I said don't answer oh, back. I was just answering Don't you. interrupt. I wouldn't dare, Captain. Yes, you would. You just did. You dare to lie to me. No, Captain. Don't contradict me. I didn't, Captain. Well, you did just then. What? I said I don't... I mean to... Don't Captain. interrupt, Scott. Captain. Take this object away and shoot it. Shoot him, Captain. Don't question my orders. No, of course not, Captain. I wouldn't dream of it. You dare to patronise me. No, Captain, honestly, I wouldn't. When you shot the prisoner, yes, Captain. shoot yourself. But I... Then throw yourself out of the nearest airlock. Yes, Captain. And once, Captain. I will not have this insubordination in my crew. The next peep out of any of you, you all get it in the neck. Is that understood? Well? Yes, Computer! Computer? Uh, yes, Captain. Get me a long-distance sub-ether line to my brain care specialist. At once, Captain. Ah, hello, Captain Prostetnik. And how are we feeling today? I appear to have wiped out half my crew. So, you appear to have wiped out half your crew, have you? That's what I said. So, that's what you said, is it? That is what I said. So that is what you said, is it? Yes. So your answer to my question, that is what you said, is it? Is yes. Yes. I see. Well, this is very interesting. Mr. Hanfrod, I have just wiped out half of my crew. So you have just wiped yes. out... Yes! Well, this too is very interesting. Well? I think this is probably perfectly normal behavior for a Vogon. The natural and healthy channeling of aggressive instincts into acts of senseless violence. That is exactly what you always say. Well, I think that is probably perfectly normal behavior for a psychiatrist. Ah, excellent. Ah, ah, we are clearly both very well adjusted in our mental attitudes today. <laughs> now, tell me, what news of the mission? We have located the ship. Good. And the occupant? The Earthman. Yes. The prefect being and... Safe for people box. Ah, this is most regrettable. A personal friend? Ah, no. In my profession, we never make personal friends. A professional detachment. No, we just don't have the neck. 
But Beeble Brox, you see, is my most profitable client. Is that so? Oh, yes. He has personality problems beyond the dreams of analysts. Mm. Ah, it will be a pity to lose him. But you, uh, you are feeling well adjusted to your task? To make sure there are no survivors from the planet Earth, yes, this time there will be no fear. Good. But first is a small financial matter I must deal with. Then, when I give the order, destroy the ship. And people broke? Well, they thought just this guy, you know. Service. <laughs> hi, 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 guys. Uh, Zephod, there's a Vogon fleet on our tail. They're coming up on us. I can relate to that. <laughs> the guys just want to be close to me, I guess. I'll turn my charisma down a notch. They'll soon get bored and drift away. It looks like a battle formation. <laughs> hey, did you hear that? What? The monkey spoke. Pure history, man. A talking monkey. Just ignore it, Arthur. Ignore what? I'm going to get some tea. Thank you. Battle formation, eh? Yes. Neat. Computer! Hi there! We gonna have a conversation? No, you're gonna tell me what those Vogons want and how they're armed. Then shall we have a conversation? What? According to my programming, in the evening leisure periods, the crew will like to relax and enjoy pleasant social activities with a wide range of shipboard robots and computers. Man and machine share in the stimulating exchange of... What happened? I just jabbed a quick negative load across its logic terminals. <laughs> hey, that hurt! <laughs> Good. To counteract the restlessness caused by long stretches of deep space flight, the crew will occasionally like to let off steam by playing electronic Alma. Gee, would that be a great idea, fellas? Alma or space battle? Computer, we've got Vogons on our tail. Okay, I'll be the Vogons. When you hear the blip, you... Ah! Uh, can you be a little more relaxed about this, guys? Turn it off. Okay. If you have any problems you'd like to talk over, we can get together. Now what? What? Without the computer, we're defenseless. Assuming they mean to attack. Oh, yes, assuming that, of course. They may just have popped round to have a quick game of Halma. It's kind of as if they're waiting for something. Zephod, Beeblebox? Hey, man, it's a message. Hey, Zephod, how are you doing, my old schizo-psychic cerebral freakake? Who's the Zeb? I think it's my analyst. I was just going through some old accounts, you know. It's my analyst. I was just wondering... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi there, Gag. Can you call back? Uh, the Vogons are closing in, Zephod. It's only a small matter, I yeah, know, yeah, it's but... It's just that I think we're under attack at the moment. I hardly it... like to bother you about a mere five and a half million Altarian dollars. I'm under attack, man. Ah, uh, so you feel you're under attack, do you? Would you like to talk about Listen, it? Listen, this is for real, man. Spaceships, definite kill cannons, the whole bit. Uh, so you feel it's for real, do you? This is very encouraging. Your delusions are getting grander and grander. That will be six million Altarian dollars if you could just Here's instruct a your computer to... Here's a damn payment, Alstrunt. It's a sum that we will just... Hey. Terrific. No computer, no communications. They'll be in firing range in a few seconds. Okay, well, let's not hang about. Get the computer back in. We'll improv out of here, Zappo. Hi there. Computer, get us on an improbability trajectory out of here pronto. Sorry, guys, I can't do that right now. All my circuits are currently engaged on solving a different problem. Now, I know this is very unusual, but it is a very difficult and challenging problem, and I know that the result will be one we can all share and enjoy. Share and enjoy. Share and enjoy is, of course, the company motto of the hugely successful Sirius Cybernetics Corporation Complaints Division, 
which now covers the major land masses of three medium-sized planets and is the only part of the corporation to show a consistent profit in recent years. The motto stands, or stood, in three-mile-high illuminated letters near the Complaints Department spaceport on Edrex. Share and enjoy. Unfortunately, its weight was such that shortly after it was erected, the ground beneath the letters caved in and they dropped for nearly half their length through the underground offices of many talented young complaints executives, now deceased. The protruding upper halves of the letters now appear in the local language to read, Go stick your head in a pig, and are no longer illuminated, except at times of special celebration. At these times of special celebration, a choir of robots sing the company song, Share and Enjoy. Unfortunately, again, another of the computing errors for which the company is justly famous means that the robots' voice boxes are exactly a flattened fifth out of tune, and the result sounds something like this. Share and enjoy, share and enjoy, journey through life with a plastic boy boy. Go by your side, let your pal be your guide, and when it breaks down or starts to annoy, all crimes when it moves and gives you no joy, cause it seems that you had more than sex with your cat. Let fire on your wall or rent off your door, and you get to the point you can't stand anymore. Bring it to us, we won't give a fig, we'll tell you. Only slightly worse. One of the serious cybernetic corporation's creations is the Nutrimatic drink dispenser, one of which has just provided Arthur Dent with a plastic cup filled with a liquid which is almost, but not quite, entirely unlike tea. Oh. The way it works is very interesting. When the drink button is pressed, it makes an instant but highly detailed examination of the subject's taste buds, a spectroscopic analysis of the subject's metabolism, and then sends tiny experimental signals down the neural pathways to the taste centers of the subject's brain to see what is likely to be well received. However, no one knows quite why it does this, because it then invariably delivers a cup full of liquid that is almost, but not quite, entirely unlike tea. I mean, what is the point? Nutrition and pleasurable sense data. Share and enjoy. Listen, you stupid machine, it tastes filthy. Here, take this cup back. If you have enjoyed the experience of this drink, why not share it with your friends? Because I want to keep them. Will you try and comprehend what I'm telling you? That drink... That drink was individually tailored to meet your personal requirements for nutrition and pleasure. Ah, so I'm a masochist on a diet, am I? Share and enjoy. Oh, shut up. Will that be all? Yes. No, look, it's very, very simple. All I want... Are you listening? Yes. Is a cup of tea. Got that? I hear. Good. And you know why I want a cup of tea? Please wait. What? Computing. What are you doing? Attempting to calculate answer to your question. Why you want dried leaves in boiling water. Because I happen to like it, that's why. Stated reason does not compute with program facts. What are you talking about? You heard. What? Who said that? The ventilation system. 
You had a go at me yesterday. Yes, because you keep filling the air with cheap perfume. You like scented air. It's fresh and invigorating. No, I do not. Please calm down. Why is the floor shaking? Tired nerves and muscles are quickly soothed by gentle floor vibrations. Feel your troubles float away. Just stop it, will you? All of you, stop it! Turn the soothing music off! Turn it off! I order you to turn it off! Thank you. Why you want dried leaves in water? Still computing. Now listen. If I want to be toned up, calmed down, invigorated or anything, then it's very simple. I just have a cup of tea. Just dried leaves, boiled. Yes. Then why, why did, did you, you build, build all of us? What? I didn't. Your species did. You're an organic life form. Your lot did. To improve your lifestyles. Hi there. This is Eddie, your shipboard computer. Just alerting you to the fact that the Nutrimatic machine has now tapped into my logic circuits to ask me why the human prefers boiled leaves to everything we have to offer him. And wow, it's a biggie. It's gonna take a little time to work out. Share and enjoy! Share and enjoy! Share and enjoy! Oh, this is ridiculous! Get me out of here! Thank you. My pleasure. Oh! Hey, what evasive action can we take? I say, do you know where the kettle is? Why are you both looking like that? We're under attack, the Vogons. Well, let's get out of here. We can't, the computer's jammed. It's what? It says all its circuits are occupied. Occupied? What, with my problem? Now, what problem would that be, Monkey Man? Well, apparently, it's just trying to work out why I like tea. Oh, oh dingoes. So well, now, look, it's not my fault. What do you mean? Listen, you look bottom me. It's not my fault. Life, as many people have spotted, is, of course, terribly unfair. For instance, the first time the Heart of Gold ever crossed the galaxy, the massive improbability field it generated caused 239,000 lightly fried eggs to materialize in a large wobbly heap on the famine-struck land of Pogrel in the Pencil system. The whole Pogrel tribe had just died out from famine, except for one man who died of cholesterol poisoning some weeks later. The Pogrels, always a pessimistic race, had a little riddle, the asking of which used to give them the only tiny twinges of pleasure they ever experienced. One Pogrel would ask another Pogrel, why is life like hanging upside down with your head in a bucket of hyena offal? To which the second Pogrel would reply, I don't know, why is life like hanging upside down with your head in a bucket of hyena offal? To which the first Pogrel would reply, I don't know either. Wretched, isn't it? I'm sorry, it's just that I was dying for a cup of tea. You soon will be, baby. Right, that's it. They've started firing. At that distance, the first beams will hit us in just over four minutes. What are we going to do? Hold a seance. What do you mean? We're not dead. Yet. No, but my great-grandfather is. Who? Zaphod Beeblebrox the Fourth. Is this relevant? The Fourth? Zaphod Beeblebrox the Fourth? Yeah, I'm Zaphod Beeblebrox. My father's Zaphod Beeblebrox the Second. My grandfather's Zaphod Beeblebrox the Third. What? Yeah, there was an accident with a contraceptive and a time machine. I can't explain it now. All hold hands on the console. Zaphod, we've got three minutes. Do it! Hurry! But... Now? Uh, Arthur, just accept it. We may as well. We're all dead. Zaphod's out of his skulls. Why not have a seance? Why not go mad? Put your hands on the console. All right, all right. 
What's that? The dialing chart. Watch. Concentrate. I'm really sorry about the flowers. I meant to send them along, but, you know, uh, the shop was fresh out of wreaths and... And uh... you forgot. Well, I... Too busy. Never think of other people. The living are all the same. Two minutes, safe. Yeah, but I did mean to, and, and I very nearly got round to writing to my great-grandmother as well. You know, uh, condolences. Your great-grandmother? Yeah. How is she now? I'll go and see her. Your late great-grandmother and I are very well. Ah, but oh. Very disappointed in you, young Zaphod. Yeah, well, um... We've been following your progress with considerable despondency. Yeah, look, uh... Not to say contempt. Yeah, could you sort of uh, listen a moment? I mean, what exactly are you doing with your life? I'm being attacked by a Vogon fleet. Doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, look, can you help? Help? Yeah, like now. Help? You go swanning your own sweet way round the galaxy with your disreputable friends? Yeah, one minute twenty. Too busy to put flowers on the grave? Plastic ones would have done. But no, no, too busy. Too modern. Too, uh, sceptical. Till you find yourself in a fix and suddenly come over... All astrally minded. Well, I don't know, Zayford. I think I'll have to think about this one. One minute ten. I mean, tell me what you think you've achieved. Achieved? I was president of the galaxy, man. Ah, and what kind of a job is that for a Beeble Brock? Hey, what are... <laughs> you know and I know what being president means, young Zayford. You know because you've been it, and I know because I'm dead. And it gives one such a wonderfully uncluttered perspective. We have a saying up here. Life is wasted on the living. Yeah, very good. Very deep. Right now, I need aphorisms like I need holes in my head. 50 seconds. You, I would... What was I? Where, where was I? Pontificating. Oh, yes. Well, let me tell you a little story. What, now? Yes. 49 seconds. What, hey, 49 what? seconds? Time seems to be slowing down. Yes, I'd hate you to miss the end of it. Hate is, of course, an almost entirely terrible thing. There is not, say many people, enough love or understanding in the universe. Though the first of these may continue to be a problem, it is in the interest of increasing the general level of understanding that the following facts will now be revealed. Zephard Beeblebrox's full title was President of the Imperial Galactic Government. The term imperial is kept, though it is now an anachronism. The hereditary emperor is now nearly dead, and has been for many centuries. This is because in his last dying moments he was, much to his imperial irritation, locked in a perpetual stasis field, 
All his heirs are now, of course, long dead, and the upshot of all this is that without any drastic upheaval, political power has simply and effectively moved a rung or two down the ladder and is now seen to be vested in an elected governmental assembly, headed by a president elected by that assembly. In fact, it vests in no such place. That would be too easy. The president's job and if someone sufficiently vain and stupid is picked, he won't realize this, is not to wield power, but to draw attention away from it. Zephard Bibelbrox, the only man in history to have made presidential telecasts from the bath, from Eccentrica Galumbit's bedroom, from the maximum security wing of the Beetlejuice State Prison, or from wherever else he happened to be at the time, was supremely good at this job. 48 seconds. So you see, young Zaphod, when thinking of ways to describe what you are making of your life, I find the phrase, pig's ear, tends to spring to mind. Yeah, but hey, man. Hey, oh, I wish you wouldn't speak like that. Zaphod, you became president for a reason. Have you forgotten? Yeah, of course I forgot. I had to. They screen your brain when you get the job, you know. If they found my head full of subversion, I'd have been right back out on the streets with nothing but a fat pension, secretarial staff, a fleet of ships, and a couple of slit throats. Ah, you do remember then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I came to myself in this dream. It's all cool, you know. Did you find Zarni Wu? Ah, well... Where? No, I more of sort of didn't. Did you find Rooster? Yeah, 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 I found Rooster. And? Okay, so I lost them again. Oh, Zaphod, the only reason I think I waste my breath on you is that... Being dead, I don't have any other use for it. Hey, listen, you know you're talking to the only guy ever to come out of the total perspective vortex. Only the most important dude in the universe. Could be, Zaphod, only could be. Only if you do your job and find out who or what really is running everything. Who you are fronting for. I just wish I knew why it was important. Because there's a lot of people wanting to have a word with him. I don't suppose for a moment you're capable of succeeding. The only reason I'm going to help you now is that I couldn't bear the thought of you and your modern friends slouching about up here. Understood? Oh, uh, yeah, thanks a bundle. Oh, and, uh, uh, Zayford. Uh, yeah? If ever you find you need help again... You know, if you're in trouble, need a hand out of a tight corner. Yeah? Please don't hesitate to, to get lost. Family's always embarrassing, isn't it? Hi there! <laughs> this is Eddie, your shipboard computer. Right back in here. And I gotta tell you guys that if we don't move out of here within... Uh, uh, let's see now, something of the order of... Uh, uh, well, by the time I finish working this out, taking trajectory distortion and the space-time curve into account, it'll be three seconds less. So let's say a cheerful round number like 20 seconds. Within... Uh, uh, well, it's near 18 seconds now, and uh, by the time I finish saying what I'm saying now, it'll be 16 seconds. We're all gonna be gunners. Computer, you're working again. Oh, sure. This unearthly voice came and solved my problem for me. Why someone should want to drink dried leaves in boiling water.
water? Answer, because he's an ignorant monkey who doesn't know better. Cute, huh? Listen, you malfunctioning mess of microchips. Hi there! Computer, drive us out of here now. Maximum improbability. What? Oh, yeah, sure thing. Will our heroes start living more useful and constructive lives as a result of this little talking to? Will it turn out that the reason why Gag Helfrand has hired the Vogons to destroy first the Earth and then Arthur Dent is that if the ultimate question is ever found, the universe will suddenly become a good and happy place and all the psychiatrists will suddenly be out of a job? Will all sorts of totally amazing things happen when the Heart of Gold arrives on the planet Brontitor? Find out in the next strangely incomprehensible episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent, Geoffrey McGiven was Ford Prefect and the Ventilation System, Mark Wing Davy was Zaphod Beeblebrox, Stephen Moore was Marvin, Gag Halfront and Vogon Guard, David Tate was Eddie, Vogon Guard and Vogon Computer, Bill Wallace was Vogon Captain, Louine Willoughby was the Nutramat Machine, and Richard Goulden was Zaphod Beeblebrox IV. Radiophonic sound and music was by Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins. Tea is now obtainable from most mega markets in a variety of easy-to-swallow capsules. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams starring Peter Jones as The Book Arthur Dent, a man whose planet has been blown up has been having a remarkable effect on the universe and the most remarkable thing about this is that the only remarkable thing about him as a person is that he is remarkably unremarkable in all respects other than that of having had his planet blown up. And this, of course, is the nub of the matter, because most of the things which stir the universe up in any way are caused by dispossessed people. There are two ways of accounting for this. One is to say that if everyone just sat at home, nothing would ever happen. This is very simple. The other is to say as Ulan Kalufid has at great length in his book, everything you always wanted to know about guilt but were too ashamed to ask, that every being in the universe is tied to his birthplace by tiny invisible force tendrils composed of little quantum packets of guilt. If you travel far from your birthplace, these tendrils get stretched and distorted. This compares with an ancient Arcturan proverb However fast the body travels, the soul travels at the speed of an Arcturan mega camel. 
This would mean, in these days of hyperspace and improbability drive, that most people's souls are wandering unprotected in deep space, in a state of some confusion, and this would account for a lot of things. Similarly, if your birthplace is actually destroyed, or in Arthur Dent's case, demolished, ostensibly to make way for a new hyperspace bypass, then these tendrils are severed and flap about at random. There are no people to be fed or whales to be saved. There is no washing up to be done. And these flapping tendrils of guilt can seriously disturb the space-time continuum. We have already seen how Arthur inadvertently caused war between the Gagodgrants and the Vlahurks. We shall shortly see how it is directly attributable to this thoroughly unremarkable Earthman that the heart of gold, escaping from the Vogons on improbability drive, has now materialized in a highly mysterious cave on the even more mysterious planet Brontitol. Improbability factor of one to one, normality is restored. We seem to be in some kind of cave, guys. Do you like caves? There's something very strange about this one. Caves are cool. Let's get out there and relate to it. This one's very cool. And you know that gives me pause for thought. Because the planet Brontetal, which is where I think we are, is meant to have a warm, rich atmosphere. Perhaps we're on a mountain. Nope, no mountains on Brontetal. Well, let's get out and see. I'm hungry for a little action. In a cave? On Brontetal? Yeah, in a cave, wherever. You make your own action. Sling open the hatch, computer. Uh, okay. You go out and have a good time, and I'm sure that everything will be just hunky-dory. Oh, hum. Bring the robot, Arthur. I'm quite capable of bringing myself. We might be able to bury him somewhere. Thin, cold air. Hmm. No mountains. Hmm. Check altitude. Hey guys, you may be interested to know that though this cave is not in a mountain, it is 13 miles above ground level. Hello? Oh well, they'll find out. Oh, hum. Whee! Hey, what a cave, man! Hey, we could really... We could really... We could really what? We could really, you know, be in this cave. We are in this cave. And what a wild cave to be in! Whee! What a great cave, hey, Ford? Really amazing walls. Pure white rock. Marble. I've worked out that if I stick my left arm in my right ear, I can electrocute myself. What? Terminally. Is that so? I can do it at a moment's notice. Just say the word. Just cool it. I think I'll go and hide. Why are we here? Now, don't you start as well. I mean, in this cave. Why? Doesn't matter. Improbability drive. Strange shape. The mouth is perfectly circular. Can you see anything in the distance? Only sky. Must be on a hill. I'll go and take a look out. Okay. Oh, by the way, did you hear the computer calling us just before the hatch closed? Oh, screw the computer. I hope it gets plug rot. <laughs> Probably not important. I'll be back in a minute. Fine. Hey, Zephyr, how you doing? Oh, freezing, man. Yeah. Every time I breathe out, I need an ice pick to get through it. Yeah. Strange, that. The computer said it was meant to have a warm, rich atmosphere. Yeah. Did you hear the computer calling after we left? No. Oh, 
probably imagined it. No, I thought he had it as well. Yeah. Well, I must have imagined it then. Strange cave, this, isn't it? Hey, it's really weird. Did you hear a noise just then? A noise? Yeah. A sort of... Noise. No. Oh. Arthur! Doesn't seem to be about. Oh, well. I just wondered if he heard it. <laughs> Doesn't sound like he did. No. <laughs> this rock! Uh, marble. Marble, yeah. Ice-covered marble. Yeah, it's 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 slippery as. Uh, uh, what's what's the slipperiest thing you can think of? This moment, this marble. Right, this marble is as slippery as this marble. Oh! Hey, uh, uh, It is often said that a disproportionate obsession with purely academic or abstract matters indicates a retreat from the problems of real life. However, most of the people engaged in such matters say that this attitude is based on three things. Ignorance, stupidity, and nothing else. Philosophers, for example, argue that they are very much concerned with the problems posed by real life. Like, for instance, what do we mean by real? and how can we reach an empirical definition of life, and so on. One definition of life, albeit not a particularly useful one, might run something like this. Life is that property which a being will lose as a result of falling out of a cold and mysterious cave 13 miles above ground level. This is not a useful definition, A, because it could equally well refer to the subject's glasses if he happens to be wearing them, and B, because it fails to take into account the possibility that the subject might happen to fall onto the, say, the back of an extremely large passing bird. The first of these flaws is due to sloppy thinking, but the second is understandable because the mere idea is quite clearly utterly ludicrous.
Look, this is utterly ludicrous. What? Let go of my neck. No. Come on, let go. I can't. Yes, you can. It's perfectly simple. Unclasp your hands and buzz off. But I can't fly. Then what the devil are you doing up here? Falling. Then get on with it. Go on. But the drop will kill me. I should have thought of that before you started out. No point saying, I think I'll just go for a quick drop, and if I get tired halfway down, I'll jump on a passing bird. It's not like that up here. It's all to do with the harsh realities of physics up in the sky. It's power-to-weight ratios. It's wing cross-sections, wing surface areas. It's practical aerodynamics. It's also cold and extremely windy. You'll be better off on the ground. <laughs> no, I won't. I'll be dead. Well, it's your habitat, not mine. It's not a question of whose habitat it is. It's a question of how fast you hit it. C couldn't you... Please just see your way to taking me down to ground level and dropping me off. No, I'm dropping you off here. It's as far down as I'm going. But I... No, 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 listen. My race had been through the whole ground thing, and I don't want to know. If the good Lord had meant us to walk, he would have given us sneakers. <laughs> All right. Well, if that's the way you feel about it, I'm sorry to have trespassed on your time. <laughs> Goodbye! It. When you land, swing your knees round. Try and roll with it. Oh, hell. Uh, oh, oh, you again. Yes, it just occurred to me. Where did you fall from? Let go. First, tell me where you fell from. A huge cold white cave in the sky. You were in the cup. What do you mean, cup? The cup. It's part of the statue. What statue? The statue. I don't know what you're talking about. Let go. You mean you haven't seen the statue? No. Should I have done? Good, is it? Well, let go. Your claws are digging in my back. The only decent thing our ancestors ever did. Come on, I'll show you. I want to go down, not up. There. You see it? What? Look up, look up. You're hurting my neck. Zoom me over. Look. That's it. But it looks like... like... Just like a plastic cup hanging in the sky. It's it's about a mile long. Looks like plastic. Car from solid marble there. But the weight of it. What's supporting it? What keeps it there? Art. Art? It's only part of the main statue. Fifteen miles high. It's directly behind us, but I'll circle round in a moment. Fifteen miles high? Very impressive from up here, with the morning sun gleaming on it. But what is it? What's worth a statue fifteen miles high? It was of great symbolic importance to our ancestors. It's called Arthur Dent, growing the Nutrimatic Cup. Sorry, what did you say? There. What do you think of it? Uh, uh, I mean... The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is an indispensable companion to all those who are keen to make sense of life in an infinitely complex and confusing universe. For though it cannot hope to be useful or informative on all matters, it does make the reassuring claim that where it is inaccurate, it is at least definitively inaccurate. In cases of major discrepancy, it is always reality that's got it wrong. So, for instance, when the guide was sued by the families of those who had died as a result of taking the entry on the planet Trial, literally, it said ravenous bugbladder beasts often make a very good meal for visiting tourists instead of ravenous bugbladder beasts often make a very good meal of visiting tourists. The editors claimed that the first version of the sentence was the more aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> 
summoned a qualified poet to testify under oath that beauty was truth, truth beauty, and hoped thereby to prove that the guilty party in this case was life itself for failing to be either beautiful or true. The judges concurred. And in a moving speech, held that life itself was in contempt of court and duly confiscated it from all those there present before going off for a pleasant evening's ultra-golf. The guide's omissions are less easily rationalised. There is nothing on any of its pages to tell you on which planets you can expect suddenly to encounter 15-mile-high statues of yourself, nor how to react if it is immediately apparent that they have become colonies for flocks of giant evil-smelling birds with all the cosmetic problems that implies. The nearest approach the guide makes to this matter is on page 7023, which includes the words, expect the unexpected. This advice has annoyed many hitchhikers in that it is A, glib, and B, a contradiction in terms. In fact, the very best advice it has to offer in these situations is to be found on the cover, where it says, in those now notoriously large and famously friendly letters, don't panic. Good, isn't it? Don't panic. Don't panic. What did you say? What do you expect me to say? Here I am on an unknown planet, hanging from the talons of, with all due respect, a giant bird, and you take it into your head to fly me round a 15-mile-high statue of myself. What do you expect me to say? Quite a good likeness, except the nose is a bit bent. Likeness? And the noxious, streaky substances down my face are less than lifelike. Likeness of you? <laughs> You're Arthur Dent. Well, yes. The Arthur Dent. Well, the Arthur Dent I don't know about, but that Arthur Dent is me. Can I ask you where you got it from? Our ancestors built it centuries ago. Don't panic. But this is truly incredible. I wouldn't argue with that. I think you'd better come and meet the rest of us. They're going to be terribly surprised. And so I think are you. Where do you all live? You're right here. Hold on, we'll dive into it. What's the matter? Oh, the smell. What? The smell, it's terrible. I can't hear what you're saying. Why don't you wash my ear out? I said, I can't hear what you're saying. Oh, never mind. Hear that noise up ahead? What, all that squawking? The bird people of Brontidor, that's us. Last of an unhappy race. What's wrong? Oh, just don't ask. Once proud people living in a foul-smelling ear. <laughs> Hail, bird brothers! Don't you have names? What's the point? Birds, I bring you a visitor. After all these years, he visits us. This is Arthur Dent. What do I say? Just say hello. Oh, uh, hello. I don't actually understand what's going on. Why are they making that appalling noise? Our leader is coming to talk to you. Leader? You have a leader? Yes. We call him the wise old bird. Ah, and this is him, is it? This is him. I see. <laughs> well, 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 well. <laughs> Sorry, should I know you? Know me? Ah, oh, no, no, probably not. I but he, they're kind enough to call the wise old bird. <laughs> now, where was I? God knows. 
Well, let me tell you, with frank admiration... Why admiration? What have I done? I fell out of a cup. But through all the generations that have passed since we deserted the surface of this planet, girded up our limbs and shook the dust off our... from our things, our whatchamacallits... Your what? Your face has been... Shook the dust from your what? ...has been the one solitary candle that has illumined the recesses of our scraggy old bird brains. Why doesn't he want to say what you shook the dust from? All right, all right. Well, can we come back to that point later? Let's have some light, shall we? Bring light. Light. Yes, that we may gaze on the face of Arthur Dent. Oh, look, it really is filthy in here. So this is how you appear to our ancestors that night. What (laughs) night? What are you talking about? Imagine our planet at the height of its technological civilization. Why? In the days when we, too, walked on the ground. Much as you do, even now. Why does everyone want to tell me their life stories? My dear old thing, you have such a sympathetic face. Is that why you've done what you've done all over it? I'm sorry, but on my world, I had a nice home and a good job with prospects. And I get angry at the thought that my life suddenly consists of sitting in sewage-filled models of my own ear being patronised by a lot of demented birds. Now keep quiet, keep quiet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, carry on. Such forthrightness, such fearless outspokenness. The qualities you awakened in us... When? Now listen, our world suffered two blights. One was the blight of the robots. Tried to take over, did they? Oh, my dear fellow, no, 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 no. Much worse than that. They told us they liked us. No. Well, it's not their fault, poor things. They'd been programmed to. But you can imagine how we felt. Or at least our ancestors. Ghastly. Precisely. And then one night, the sky boiled. Did what? Boiled, dear fellow. In the most improbable way. Ah. And this gigantic vision appeared in the sky. A man with a new traumatic machine. You, Arthur Dent. And you said... Uh... Listen, you stupid machine, it tastes filthy. Take this cup back. And you threw the cup at it. An astounding revelation. It was nothing. You were sarcastic to it. You said... Uh... So I'm a masochist on a diet, am I? You told it to... Shut up! In a moment, we realized truth. Just because the little wretches liked us, it didn't mean to say we had to like them back. And that night we rounded up every last one of the little creeps. Bring out your dishwashers! Bring out your digital watches with the special snooze alarms! Bring out your TV chess games! Bring out your auto gardeners, techno teachers, lovematics! Bring out your friendly household robots! Shove them on the car! What is this? Have we not loved you? Have we not cared for you? Have we not shared and enjoyed with you? Shut up, you little ponies! Get on the car! And we set them to work to build a statue as an eternal reminder. After which we sent them to a slave planet where they're doing a very useful job making continent toupees. Making what? Two pays for worlds where they've used up all the forests. Ah, look, the statue. How did you get the cup bit to stay where it is, unsupported? It stays there because it's artistically bright. What? The law of gravity isn't as indiscriminate as people often think. You learn things like that when you're a bird. But you didn't start out as birds. Oh, no, no, no. We were forced to re-evolve by the second and more deadly blood. <laughs> and that was already... Too advanced by the time we rid ourselves of the robot place. Ah, what woe was upon us. All right. What woe was upon you? 
<laughs> too terrible to speak of. Imagine this. We walked. What's so wrong about that? Nothing. We went for strolls, we jogged, we marched, we ambled, we competed in 500-meter hurdles. Imagine how our ancestors felt to walk through our great cities, stride across the pedestrian precincts, stroll along walkways, maybe wander into a small wine bar to have lunch with a girlfriend. What? Mm, yeah. Maybe play... <laughs> maybe play footsie under the table. <laughs> and she would say how she'd been walking here, strolling there, wandering into shops, maybe trying to buy a pair of... Uh, uh, buy some... Hey, you know, some... Uh, some whatchamacallit. What things? Are these the things you refuse to talk about brushing the dust off? Oh, come on. And then they would saunter off into the sunset. Yes, very idyllic. So what went wrong? Ah, too terrible to speak of. Then why did you bring it up in the first place? Suffice it to say that we have sworn never to walk upon the ground again. What's the matter with it? Oh, if you want to know, you will have to descend to the ground where you will encounter those who have come to unravel the unspeakable nightmare of our past. All right, how do I get down there? There's an ancient express elevator down your spine that will take you straight down to ground level. Well, anything to get out of my ear. Show me the way. Can't be much more unspeakable than this lot. In today's modern galaxy, there is, of course, very little still held to be unspeakable. Many words and expressions, which only a matter of decades ago were considered so distastefully explicit that were they merely to be breathed in public, the perpetrator would be shunned, barred from polite society, and in extreme cases, shot through the lungs, are now thought to be very healthy and proper, and their use in everyday speech is seen as evidence of a well-adjusted, relaxed, and totally unfucked up personality. So, for instance, when in a recent national speech, the financial minister of the royal world estate of Qualvista actually dared to say that due to one thing and another and the fact that no one had made any food for a while and that the king seemed to have died and that most of the population had been on holiday now for over three years, the economy had now arrived at what he called one whole juju flop situation. Everyone was so pleased he felt able to come out and say it that they quite failed to notice that their 5,000-year-old civilization had just collapsed overnight. But though even words like juju flop, swat, and turlingdrome are now perfectly acceptable in common usage, there is one word that is still beyond the pale. The concept it embodies is so revolting that the publication or broadcast of the word is utterly forbidden in all parts of the galaxy except one, where they don't know what it means. That word is Belgium. And it is only ever used by loose-tongued people like Zephod Bibelbrox in situations of dire provocation, such as... And I'll tell you another interesting thing. I don't want to be interested. I don't want to be stimulated or relaxed or have my horizons broadened. I just want to be rescued, Ford. I just want to be sweating well rescued. Well, I'm sorry. I've told you. No way. Oh, Belgium, man! Belgium! All right. I'll get my towel. Your towel? Yeah. I'll hold on to this end. I'll throw you the other end. There. Got it? Got it. Okay, pull. I'm pulling. Go on, pull. I'm coming. Go on, pull. Go on. 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 Go
Yeah, not that hard. How hard did you expect me to pull? Just not quite hard enough to actually pull me up. I can't stand heights. And don't worry, we're on our way down. Listen, we'll be all right. We may land in the water or something, you know. Can you swim? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I don't like to go into water, you know, in any great detail. What kind of traveler are you, man? Don't like heights, don't like water. Perfectly natural. I just get a kick out of being on the ground. Well, any minute now, you'll have the biggest kick of your life. I suppose we couldn't get picked up by a bird on the way down. A bird? Yeah, bird, you know, with wings. Have to be a swatting big one, man. Or two of them. Hey, will you get your head back on? The chances against one guy falling onto a passing bird are ten to the power of my overdraft, but two is just... Look, this is utterly ludicrous. Meanwhile, Arthur is in the thick of it. No sooner has he emerged from the cavernous gap between two of the statue's toes into a thick pall of smoke than he has been accosted thus. Halt! Who goes there? What? Pandolfo! Who, me? Pandolfo! Do I know you? Answer! Pandolfo! Well, without knowing you, it's hard to tell. I mean, I quite like some people, others not so much. Answer! Well, it has to be said that on balance, very few of the people I count, or rather counted as friends, most of them have been disintegrated, you see, very few of them have piercing red eyes, black armor, and laser rifles. So I think the answer is probably veering towards... Answer, or I fire! Ah, well, that clinches it, I'm afraid. I don't think we're going to be friends. This planet is the property of the Dolman Sackstill Galactic Corporation. Trespassers are to be shot. Whose property? What about the bird people? You have established communication with the avian birds. Well, chatted. Didn't understand a lot of it, to be honest. What do you mean, perverts? Perverts, subversives, all perverts, subversives, and trespassers are to be shot. Well, that should keep you busy. Uh, bye now. Hold. I command you to hold. And also accosted thus. Hold, who goes there, friend or foe? Depends what you like. Hold or I fire. And finally... Thus. Here, get down. What? Into the trench. Come on, there's a hidden shelter. Oh, thanks. Shh. Who are you? Archaeologist. What? Shh. Archaeologist? Yes. What are you doing? Digging, researching, trying to stay alive. Is that lot around? Most particularly because that lot are around. With all the laser guns and the armor and things? Yes. Odd thing, they all seem to be limping. Yes. Why? Blisters. Ah, so that's why they're limping. Yes. Why have they got blisters? That, whoever you are, is a very good question. And the answer? That's what I'm here to find out. Really? Strange job for an archaeologist. Why should a nice young archaeologist, whose name incidentally is Lintilla, be particularly interested in a band of limping soldiers? Will Ford and Zaphod have to go through all the business with the wise old bird, or will they persuade the bird they've so improbably landed on to take them to the ground so that they can get straight on with the next bit? Find out in the next intriguing episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent, Geoffrey McGiven was Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davy was Zaphod Beeblebrox, Stephen Moore was Marvin, David Tate was Eddie, Ronald Baddeley was Bird 1, John Baddeley was Bird 2 and the Foot Warrior, Rula Lenska was Lintilla, and John LeMessurer was the Wise Old Bird. Radiophonic sound and music was by Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins. Parents of young organic life forms are warned that towels can be harmful 
if swallowed in large quantities. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams starring Peter Jones as the book. Incredible though it may seem, it is in fact possible that the strange and terrible history of the planet Brontetal, where Arthur Dent, Ford Prefect and Zephard Beeblebrox are even now falling out of the sky onto curious and aggravating birds, admiring surprisingly large statues of unexpected people, i.e. Arthur Dent, exchanging hostile words with alien soldiers with inexplicable limps and generally having a fairly peculiar time of it, may yet admit of some form of explanation. Furthermore, it is possible that this explanation will have more than a little to do with the mysterious somethings, or whatchamacallits, of which the bird people refuse to speak. On top of which, it is also possible that Lintilla, the archaeologist, who may possibly turn out to have an almost impossibly strange life story, may play a major part in the uncovering of this explanation. It is even possible that pigs will fly, or that everyone will live happily ever after. In an infinite universe, everything, even the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is possible. Tell me how you got here. Impossible. What do you mean? Well, it's something called the infinite improbability drive. Don't ask me how it works, or I'll start to whimper. But a ship? Oh, yes, a ship. It's parked in a cup 15 miles above us. Please don't ask me about that either. Is there anything you are prepared to talk about? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What? I know. All non-starters, really. Can you reach your ship? From here? No. What's the matter? You want me to go? No. It's just our ship was found by the soldiers and disabled. We've no means of getting off the planet. Well, I can't be much help. How many are you? Three of us are here. Lintilla. What? Name. Oh, Arthur. What's yours? I just said Lintilla. Oh, yes. Sorry. I thought you... Oh. Never mind. Hello. Come, you can help us. We've a lot of digging to do and the automatic drill's broken down. I don't think you can dig your way off a planet, can you? No. I said we're archaeologists. Ah. You don't look as if you're in good condition for digging with your arm in a sling. Is it broken? Oh, no. It's just a pseudo-fracture. Huh? Pseudo-fracture. It's artificially induced. All the pain, swelling and immobility of a fracture without the inconvenience of the fracture itself. Oh. Is that good? Good. Yes, particularly. Well, you wouldn't want me to have a broken arm, would you? Well, no, of course not. I mean, I hardly know you. Right. But the effect is useful. Is it? Yes, of course it is. Crisis psychology. The benefits of working under extreme pressure. Nothing more useless than a bored archaeologist. Come on, this tunnel leads to the work face. See this device? Looks like a watch. It's a crisis inducer. I set it to Mark 9 and... Hurry! They're after us! Who? No, I... Come on, through the tunnel, they're coming! But... They're coming! Well, if you say so. 
The major problem, which the medical profession in the most advanced sectors of the galaxy had to tackle, after cures had been found for all the major diseases, and instant repair systems had been invented for all physical injuries and disablements except some of the more advanced forms of death, was that of employment. Planets full of bronzed, healthy, clean-limbed individuals merrily prancing through their lives meant that the only doctors still in business were the psychiatrists, simply because no one had discovered a cure for the universe as a whole, or rather the only one that did exist had been abolished by the medical doctors. Then it was noticed that like most forms of medical treatment, total cures had a lot of unpleasant side effects. Boredom, listlessness, lack of well, anything very much, and with these conditions came the realization that nothing turned, say, a slightly talented musician into a towering genius faster than the problem of encroaching deafness, and nothing turned a perfectly normal, healthy individual into a great political or military leader better than irreversible brain damage. Suddenly, everything changed. Previously best-selling books, such as How I Survived an Hour with a Sprained Finger, were swept away in a flood of titles such as How I Scaled the North Face of the Megaperna with a Perfectly Healthy Finger, but Everything Else Sprained, Broken or Bitten Off by a Pack of Mad Yaks. And so doctors were back in business, recreating all the diseases and injuries they had abolished in popular, easy-to-use forms. Thus, given the right and instantly available types of disability, even something as simple as turning on the 3D TV could become a major challenge. And when all the programs on all the channels actually were made by actors with cleft palates, speaking lines by dyslexic writers filmed by blind cameramen, instead of merely seeming like that, it somehow made the whole thing more worthwhile. Meanwhile, Ford Prefect and Zephod Bibelbrox, who have fortuitously landed on the back of a huge alien bird are again finding that the most worthwhile thing in Ford's possession is something he acquired from the Salisbury branch of Marks and Spencer's shortly before the planet Earth was demolished. Take us down to the ground, you stupid bird. No. I'm just going to circle around here for a while, then sooner or later you'll have to let go and continue your journey. I'm sorry? But there it is. Say, what? hold on. I'm going to crawl out along its neck. You're going to what? Crawl along its neck with my towel. Are you crazy? Miles up on a mad bird, you're going to dry it behind the ears? You watch. Watch? I'm going to pray, man. Know any good religions? You watch. Here I go. Zephod, <laughs> how am I doing? What? How far have I got? How do I know, man? I've got my eyes closed. Don't you know how far you've got? No. I've got my eyes closed. Terrific. Get off my neck. No. Get off my... What are you doing? I'm wrapping my towel around your eyes, you bird. I can't see where I'm flying. You don't need to if you fly downwards. Just follow the force of gravity. It's very simple. Great idea, wasn't it? Yeah, keep running. With the towels. Great little number. Yeah, watch it! Keep running. Just follow the force of gravity, I said. It's simplicity that always works, you know. Here comes a light! Will you just keep running, man? I'm running. Oh. And it's the simplest ideas that take the greatest intelligence, oh. you know. I mean, forget Marvin. I'm the one, you know, the intelligent one. 
When I go to bed at night, I don't need to read a book. I just glance through my brain for half an hour. Oh, run! We've got to find shelter! There's something in the distance. Oh. Can't quite make it out. Head for it. Keep running, man. Oh! oh. How many birds, you reckon? Couple of dozen. Keep running. Well, they can't keep it up indefinitely. Oh. I mean, they'll have to go and eat something, you know? I mean, looking at it purely from the biological angle. Right. But then they'll have to put their feet up for a couple of hours whilst they go through all the digestion bit. And then... Keep running. Yes. Probably going to need a new towel at some stage. Oh. <laughs> Chronologically speaking, the immediately preceding noise, the... noise does not in fact belong in this position. It has not been heard by Ford Prefect or Zephard Bibelbrox, and neither have they witnessed the event that caused it. It is included at this moment partly to point up certain causal relationships between events past and events to come, and partly to create a sense of mystery and wonder. A. As to what it could possibly be, B. As to the nature of these past and future events, and C. As to whether these alleged causal relationships will become important, or indeed apparent. For the moment, suffice it to say that the event has taken place, and that Arthur Dent will very soon encounter one of its consequences. This is the sound of him emerging from the tunnel. How did you manage that? You got here minutes ahead of me. And with an imaginary broken arm. Well, that's the whole point. You always overcompensate for your disabilities. I'm thinking of having my whole body surgically removed. Right. Crisis over. I've turned off our pursuers. What? Oh, yes, good. Well, look, tell me. Lintilla! Would... Yes, you told me your name, thanks. The point is... Lintilla, where have you been? You've been hours. Hmm? Who's this? I ran into some foot soldiers and had to stay hidden. I found this. Who is it? He says his name's Arthur, but I think he's harmless. He can help us dig. Excuse me, who is this? This is Lintilla. But I thought you... Where's Lintilla? Who? Over there at the work face. This extraordinary thing has happened. Yes, very probably, Hello? but why... Is that you, Lintilla? Excuse me, can I get a word in edgeways? What do you want? Why are the three of you? Why, why is there, is there any one of you? you? Uh, could I have notice of that question? It's very strange. We were making hardly any progress at all without the drill. Then just when I turned my back, there was an extraordinary noise. What sort of noise? A sort of... <laughs> noise. When I looked back, a whole shaft had opened up. Really? Really? It's exposed all the archaeological seams. We're almost home and dry. But that's... that's impossible. Well, I don't know about impossible. It's very improbable. But why are you all exactly the same as each other? Well, you're exactly the same as yourself, aren't you? This is true. Well, well then. But unhelpful. We're clones. Ah, clones. I've heard of that. You mean there was one of you to begin with, and then exact copies were made, and now there are three of you? Yes, yes except that there are now nearly 578,000 million of us. Hmm? It's all right. The others aren't here at the moment. Can we get on with the work? That's rather a lot, isn't it? The problem of the 578,000 million Lintilla clones is very simple to explain, rather harder to solve. Cloning machines have, of course, been around for a long time and have proved very useful for reproducing particularly talented or attractive or, in response to pressure from the serious cybernetics marketing lobby, particularly gullible people, and this was all very fine and splendid and only occasionally terribly confusing. And then one particular cloning machine got badly out of sync with itself. Asked to produce six copies of a wonderfully talented and attractive girl called Lintilla for a Brantisvogan escort agency, 
Whilst another machine was busy creating 500 lonely business executives in order to keep the laws of supply and demand operating profitably, the machine went to work. Unfortunately, it malfunctioned in such a way that it got halfway through creating each new lintilla before the previous one was actually completed, which meant, quite simply, that it was impossible ever to turn it off without committing murder. This problem taxed the minds, first of the cloning engineers, then of the priests, then of the letters page of the sidereal record straightener, and finally of the lawyers who experimented vainly with ways of redefining murder, re-evaluating it, and in the end even respelling it, in the hope that no one would notice. A solution has now been found, but since it is not a particularly pleasant one, it will only be revealed if it becomes absolutely necessary. Meanwhile, Arthur Dent is about to discover the terrifying truth about the somethings, or whatchamacallits, of which the bird people refuse to speak. You see, these different strata in the rock face of the shaft represent the successive ages of this planet's history. Oh, yes. Isn't that interesting? Interesting? It's frightening. Is it? Well, actually, it just looks like a slice of layer cake to me. Then why did you say it looked interesting? Oh, well, I'm quite interested in layer cake. Look at it. Doesn't anything strike you? Well, it's... it's rock, isn't it? Down here we have layer after layer, the remains of early settlements, one on top of another. Then more layers, thicker ones, the remains of cities, each built on the ruins of the previous one. We're talking about thousands of years, you see. And then suddenly, above this level, what? Uh, more rock? But what's special about it? Uh... Well, it's all smooth, no layers. Yes, no further building. No one actually living on the planet, or at least on its surface. So this previous layer is the significant one. And do you know what it consists of? Rock? No. Uh, stone? No. Um, some different sort of rock, the name of which temporarily escapes me. No, feel it. Scratch it. Oh, yes. It's slightly sort of soft and crumbly. What's it like? Uh, I know. It's, um... Yes. What's the name of that soft, crumbly sort of rock? But it isn't rock. Well, what is it, then? Shoes. What? Shoes. Billions of them. An entire archaeological layer of compressed shoes. Shoes? How can you tell? We knew all along. We just needed confirmation. Why shoes? Because, fella, shoes are the economic future of this galaxy. Huh? Stand up, both of you. Who are you? I only happen to be Haig Hertenflurst. I only happen to be the risingest young executive in the Domin Saxel Shoe Corporation. I only happen to have masterminded the entire rationalization of this planet to total shoe orientation. I only happen to be sitting on top of the biggest development deal in the entire history of footwear, and I only happen to be very deeply disturbed at finding my planet riddled with subversives bent on undermining the whole structure of the Domin Saxel operation, and thus the very economic future of the galaxy itself. And I only happen to think that I would be very well advised to have both of you weirdos and the other two chicks revoked on the spot. Does that answer your question? Uh, I can't remember what I asked you now. There is, of course, also the question of the... The noise which, as has been suggested, was in some way connected with the sudden and fortuitous appearance of a deep shaft in the ground. Further noises are now to be heard at the very bottom of this shaft, which may go some way towards explaining the previous noise. This is what the new noise sounds like. After a while, it develops along these lines. 
and then continues thus. Act. I ache, therefore I am. Or in my case I am, therefore I ache. Oh, look, I appear to be lying at the bottom of a very deep, dark hole. That seems a familiar concept. What does it remind me of? Ah, I remember life. Perhaps if I lie here and ignore it, it'll go away again. Or then again, perhaps not. To be perfectly frank with myself, if it didn't go away as a result of me falling 15 miles through the air and a further mile through solid rock, I'm probably stuck with it for good. Why don't I just lie here anyway? Why don't I climb out? Why don't I just go zoodle wordle? Does it matter? Even if it does matter, does it matter that it matters? Zoodle wordle, zoodle wordle, zoodle wordle. And so on. Meanwhile, at the top of the shaft, mere nanoseconds have passed since Arthur said, I can't remember what I asked you now. You! Me? Why do those other two chicks we picked up look exactly like you? It's a long story. Quick, Precy, then. Because. That's neat. Now listen, I could just have you revoked. Revoked? Yeah, K-I-L-L-E-D, revoked. But instead, I think I'll suddenly take a liking to you both. Oh, don't we get any say in the matter? Foot warrior! I've decided to take these two back to my office and like them. Sure. I think I'd like them on the wall best. See to it. We'll go in my business buggy. Up one, sir. And don't limp. No, sir. I'll try not to, sir. Don't just try. Cut it right out. Yes, sir. Now you're limping with your other foot. Yeah. Yes, sir. Don't limp with either foot. Right, sir. You two prisoners. Who? Who? Us? Pick up the foot warrior and bring him back with you. Thank you, sir. Welcome to my office, the nerve center of the operation here. Since you were so keen to find out the truth about us, you shall see it in comfort. Foot Warrior. Sir? Showed him the film. Uh, yes, sir. Hello. You two, carry him to the projector scope. What's the matter with him? His feet are the wrong size for his shoes. Ah. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is a Dolman Saxlil Galactic Shoe Corporation film. Adventures in aggressive marketing. Take a planet, any planet. Take, for instance, the planet Bartrax or Hertring Fur or Earth. Earth? Or That's Earth. where I come from. But it's been demolished. Or any of the many planets we have currently declared marketing being demolished much. You watch. We will see what can really be achieved by looking at the planet Brontosaur. That's my baby. They're very proud of me back at Central Office. Mere centuries ago, a happy, prosperous, busy planet, all right. <laughs> oh, yes, not a care in their world. Hello. 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 Morning. I'm happy. Ooh. Terribly happy today, thank you. Yes. Okay. And you, Brontosaur? Oh, yes, indeed, so yes. <laughs> Is that right? You busy? Oh, yes, yes. And healthy, bright eyes, clear skin. Isn't life a wonderful thing? Oh, yes. Super. Oh, yes. Only one tiny little thing wrong here. They're not making money for the Dolman Sachs Little Shoe Corporation. So? So, on the far side of their moon, we set up a Dolman Sachs Little Shoe Shop intensifier ray. And suddenly, the people are gripped by an insane, irrational desire to build... Shoe Shops. 
in every road on every street corner, in every city shopping precinct. Shoe shop after shoe shop. Oxford Street. What? Oxford Street. They just showed a picture of Oxford Street. And then we really put the screws on them. <laughs> yes. Fashion. Every year the shoes in the shops are either much too wide or much too thin. Or in extreme cases, even joined together at the heel. Oh yes, how we laughed up on the backside of their room. How we cried with laughter when every last shop on the planet was turned into a shoe shop. How we coughed and spluttered with mirth when the people tried to revolt and we had to send in the foot warriors. Emergency power supply. Gal, sir. Think I've got gangrene at the feet. Well, then just seize the prisoners. Yes. Prisoners. Yes. Seize each other. Now, now, what's going on out here? Who, who's that breaking down the door? Marvin. I suppose you'll want to be rescued now. Oh, yes, please. Not you. Come on, Lintilla. Let's get out of here. Well, come on, then, if you're coming. Wait. I've just got to turn on my crisis inducer. There. Come on, they're after us! Down the corridor. This way? Yes. That's up the corridor. Right up the bloody corridor, come on! Well, that way. I thought you were pointing down the... And so everything points to shoes as being the mysterious somethings, or whatchamacallits, of which the bird people would not speak. And the curious fact is that the shoe shop intensifier ray mentioned mere seconds ago is in actuality a phony designed to make Dolman Sachs Lill executives feel they're doing something excitingly aggressive when in fact all they need to do is wait. The shoe event horizon is now a firmly established and rather sad economic phenomenon which in future times will be taught as part of the basic middle school life, the universe and everything syllabus. Here is a typical computer class from the Brandisvogen Megalise, Unidate N11VCK168. Good morning, life form. Hi, teach. Are you sitting comfortably? Yes. Then stand up. Harsh economic truths, class 17. You are standing up? Yes. Good. Pause it. You are living in an exciting go-ahead civilization. Where are you looking? Up. What do you see? The open sky, the stars, an infinite horizon. Correct. You may press the button. Thank you. Oh, that feels nice. Pause it. You are living in a stagnant, declining civilization. Where are you looking? Down. What do you see? My shoes. Correct. What do you do to cheer yourself up? Um, press the button. Incorrect. Think again. Your world is a depressing place. You are looking at your shoes. How do you cheer yourself up? I buy a new pair. Correct. Can I press a button? All right. <laughs> so nice. Now, imagine everyone does the same thing. What happens? Everyone feels nice. Ah, forget the button. Concentrate. Everyone buys new shoes. What happens? More shoes. And? More shoe shops. Correct. Can I... No, no. Oh. And in order to support all these extra shoe shops, what must happen? Well, everyone must keep buying shoes. And how is that arranged? 
manufacturers dictate more and more different fashions and make shoes so badly that they either hurt the feet or fall apart. So that everyone has to buy more shoes. Until until everyone gets fed up with lousy rotten shoes. And then what? Why can't I press the button? And then what? Come on. Massive capital investment by the manufacturers to try and make people buy the shoes. Which means more shoe shops. And then we reach what point? The point where I press the button again. All right. <laughs> Nice. That's really nice. And then we reach what point? The shoe event horizon. The whole economy overbalances. Shoe shops outnumber every other kind of shop. It becomes economically impossible to build anything other than shoe shops. And bingo! I get to press the button again. Wait for permission. Now, what's the final stage? Um, every shop in the world ends up as a shoe shop. Full of shoes, no one can wear. Result: famine. Collapse and ruin. Any survivors eventually evolve into birds and never put their feet on the ground again. Excellent. End of lesson. You may press the button. <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. Thank you, Teach. Goodbye.、Uh, aren't you forgetting something? What? Press the other button. Oh, right. <laughs> and so forth. Meanwhile, at the Dolman Saxlil base, the excitement is, of course, mounting. <sighs> you did a good job finding us, Marvin. Where have you been? In a deep, dark hole. I climbed out because I started to like it too much. Come on, keep moving. We must find a way out of here. Right. Whilst a mere mile or so to the east, Zeyfold Bibelbrox and Ford Prefect are very keen to find their way into somewhere. Namely, some sort of shelter from the continuing revenge of the bird people. They find it in the form of a derelict building, which is vast, very low, and very, very old. The door, open it. Force it, man. Okay, get in. Hey, look at this. Look what we found, man. It's a derelict spaceport. Looks like no one's been in for centuries. All these amazing old ships. Yeah. Just rust and wreckage. Yeah. Spooky man. Like, um, what are those things? Eggs come out of? Birds. No, no. After that. Me?、Hey? What do they come out of the birds in? Eggshells.、Oh, that's it. Just like huge, broken eggshells. And all the dust, man. And the huge cobwebs. The way you get huge cobwebs, you get. Just look out, man! Excuse me. One huge spider. Polite there. Transstellar space lines. Must have been real googie ships once, but now. One look and they'd fall apart. I mean, look at that one. Hey man, pass me those four bits of tubing. What these? Yeah, 
I'm going to make me a stethoscope and take a listen to this baby. There. And there. Like that. You hear anything? Hey. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear something. What is it? Ford. I don't believe what I just heard. Here, let me listen. Okay. But you better keep your head screwed on, kid. What has Zaphod heard in the space liner, and is it really as horrifying as all that? Will it lead him directly to the discovery of his goal, despite his singular lack of exertion in that direction? Will it become absolutely necessary to reveal the unpleasant solution to the problem of Lintilla's clones? Will everything tie up neatly, or will it be just like life, quite interesting in parts, but no substitute for the real thing? What is the real thing? Some of these questions may possibly be answered in the next inexplicable episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent, Geoffrey McGiven was Ford Prefect, Mark Wing Davy was Zaphod Beeblebrox, Stephen Moore was Marvin and the Pupil, David Tate was Eddie, the Computeach and the Commentator, John Baddeley was Bird 2 and the Foot Warrior, Rula Lenska was Lintilla and her clones, and Mark Smith only happened to be Hig Hurtenflast. Radiophonic sound and music was by Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. The programme was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins. Many sentences contained in that programme were of a very dangerous length and were performed by highly trained vocal practitioners. On no account should inexperienced life forms attempt to imitate them without proper medical jaw and lung supervision. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams starring Peter Jones as The Book find is this, that Ford Prefect and Zaphod Beeblebrox have broken into an ancient building concerning which they have reached the following conclusion. It's a derelict spaceport. And within which they have discovered a large number of amazing old ships whose condition has been described by Ford Prefect in these terms. Just rust and wreckage. And by Zaphod Beeblebrox like this. Just like huge broken eggshells. We find that one ship has caught their eye for this reason. It's covered with muck and dust, but looks like it's still in one piece. Hey, yeah, and, and it's still connected to its supply lines. And we find that this provokes them into closer investigation. This is what they find. Feels like it's on power. Just a very slight vibration. But it must have been here for centuries. Hey, man, pass me those four bits of tubing. What, these? Yeah. 
I'm gonna make me a stethoscope and take a listen to this baby. There. And there. Like that. You hear anything? Hey. Yeah. Yeah, I can hear something. What is it? Ford. I don't believe what I just heard. Here, let me listen. Okay. But you better keep your head screwed on, kid. You can hear. It's a voice. But can you hear what it's saying, man? Can you get your mind behind what it's saying? Shh, shh. I'm trying. Transtellar Space Lines would like to apologize to passengers for the continuing delay to this departure of this flight. Weird. We are currently awaiting the loading of our complement of small lemon-soaked paper napkins for your comfort, refreshment, and hygiene during the flight, which will be of two hours' duration. Meanwhile, we thank you for your patience. The cabin crew will shortly be serving coffee and biscuits again. Say, Ford, how long has this ship been standing here? Man, there's a departure board right behind us. I've been looking at the flight schedules. Man, this ship is late. Man, this ship is very, very late. Man, this ship is over 900 years late. Say, Ford, we got to get in there. But, man, can you cope with what we might find? I don't know. We got to get in there. We got to get in there. What we find, we find. What we also find is that Arthur Dent, Marvin and the girl Lintilla, who, as has already been established, has now been cloned over 578,000 million times, and as that's created a problem in some quarters, are now thoroughly lost in the Dolman Saxlil base. This is because there is no light, which is in turn because Marvin has done something aggravating to the Dolman Saxlil power supply, which is in turn because he was anxious to create some confusion under cover of which he could rescue Arthur and Lintilla, which was in turn because they had been captured by Highurtenflurst, which was in turn because... and so on back to the initial and highly controversial creation of the universe. Only two of Lintilla's 578,000 million clones are on the planet Brontitol with her. And it is more than likely that we shall also find them. Lintilla! Ah, there's your better half and worse half. Or at least you're exactly the same halves. Thirds, Lintilla! whatever. Why Lintilla! Why do you such complicated what lines? What happened to you? There were a couple of foot warriors standing guard over us. But after a while they sat guard over us. Then they wandered away to find some corn plasters. And so we escaped. Right, where are we going? How should I know? It's your universe. You go where you like. We'll get back to our ship. I thought you said it didn't work. But there's a derelict spaceport about a mile or so from here. We might be able to get some parts to repair it with. Ah, well, I'm not very skilled at repairing spaceships. Well, you can learn. Take a bit of time, I think. You could take some evening classes. What, here? Yes. I've got a bottle of them, little pink ones. Well, I... Come on, then. Let's get out of here before they restore the power and find us. They restored the power. They found us. Keep down. It's a terrible thing to say, but you know what I sometimes think would be useful in these situations? What? A gun of some sort. Will this help? What is it? It's a gun of some sort. Oh, that'll help. Can you make it fire? Uh... Yes. Right. Look, why don't you keep firing at them? I'll make a dash for the next intersection. You throw me the gun. I'll keep firing and you make a dash for it. Did you ever see gunfight at the OK Corral? What? No, you wouldn't have done. What? Uh, never mind. No, what? No, just an old western. Oh, please, I don't want to talk about it. Right. Everyone understand? Yes. Yes. Marvin? Understand. You ask me if I understand. Yes or no? Guess. Right, I'm going. 
You fire, I'll run. Now! Right. Uh, excuse me. Huh? Who are you? Uh, me? Ah, well, you see, what it is, you see, is I'm Poodoo. And uh, look, I'm sorry to interrupt. Are you busy? What? Yes. Uh, can I just ask you something? No. In a minute. Please get back. Right. Lintella. Only I can see you're busy, so I won't take up a moment of your time. If I could just... What? Introduce a couple of friends of mine. Well, three, actually. Four, if you count the priest. Hello. 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 Ah. Only we were wondering... Who are you? Can I just ask you something? Look, please. It's just, do you know those girls over there? What? Yes. Oh, that's good. Thank you very much. That's all I wanted. That's all. Thanks. Good. Lintella, throw the gun! Only what I ask, you see, is, and uh, seeing as you're busy, I'll just be very brief. Did I introduce my friends? Yes. I'm sure they'd like to introduce themselves. Hello, I'm a litnil. So am I. Me too. Go away! And this is Fartfar the priest. Farnfar. Farnfar. He's a priest, you see. He does marriages and other things, but mostly marriages. Only shut up! We were wondering if you could introduce a litnil. Who? A litnil. And a litnil. And a litnil. To the girls, your lady friends. Lintella! Yes, that's right. Just socially, you see. All very pleasant. Throw the gun! We've bought some drinks. We could just have a quiet social get-together. And some music, of course. Got to have some music. Here we go. Throw the gun! Stop it! Stop it! Now, when I start firing, run! Then if it all goes very well, you see, we've got a priest on hand in case anybody wants to get married at all, just to round off the evening. Are you totally mad? No, no, they're not married yet. Oh, did you say mad? Yes. Oh, no, well, I don't think so. I thought you said married. Of course, they would be mad talking about marrying these girls if they were married already. Well, they could talk about it, of course, but somebody else would have to actually do it. Anyway. Shut up. Righto, Squire. Ah! They're quite keen to get married, though, aren't you? Yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. Where did you nutters come from? Run! Oh, what we did, you see, is we flew in. We flew in, you see. Oh, yes, we definitely flew in. Well, bloody fly out again. Lintilla. 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 Are you all right? Yes, yes, yes. Hello, ladies. Marvin? Never better. Good. Still very bad, though. Right. All you Lintillas, can you start firing again while I run the next bit? <gasps> Lintilla? What's going on? Hello. I think the lads and lasses are just getting acquainted. I'd leave them to it if I were you. What? Look, we're trying to escape from the foot warriors. Can we have parties later? Oh, we can't believe it. These are the most attractive men we've ever met. Are they? Oh, all my life I've longed oh, for such a moment. Touching, isn't it? What the hell is going on here? Oh, just happiness, Squire. And it's nice to bring a little happiness into life, don't you think? Yes, but there's a time and place for everything. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, I'll just get on with the shooting and saving everybody's lives then, shall I? No kissing now, lovebirds. Very old-fashioned sector of the galaxy, this. No kissing allowed without names firmly on marriage certificates. Oh. Looks like a cue for action from you then, doesn't it, Padre? And I just happen to have the warrants for your marriage... Sorry, licences about my person. Mad. Totally bonkers. And then, as soon as you're all happily conjoined, you can get on with escaping and everything. Knowing that you have the love, support and trust of your chosen partners. Nice, isn't it? Now, who's going to marry who? Listen, you foot warriors! Can you hold hard a bit with the firing? I've just got three impromptu weddings breaking out behind me. What? Weddings! You know, with this ring I thee wed and that sort of thing. Did you say weddings? Yes! Can... can we come? No! Stay back! <laughs>
Dearly beloved, we are gathered. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, skip all that. Let's just get straight on with the signing and the pronouncement, shall we? Let's all go mad, shall we? Now, what you all do, you see, is you sign here. That's right. Look, let's change the music. Something a bit special for you. Keep back! That's good. Name there, that's very good. Right, Padre? I now pronounce you men and wives. Men, you can kiss your brides. <laughs> <laughs> Nerve-wrackingly enough, the moment at which two lintillas and two alitnils unexpectedly vanish in what can only be described as a puff of unsmoke, coming as it does only seconds before Arthur discovers that Poodoo's alleged marriage licenses are not what they purport to be, but are, in fact, agreements to cease to be drawn up by the cloning machine company's lawyers, is also the moment at which it becomes necessary to consider new developments in the Ford Prefect Zephard Bibelbrock situation. Having gained access to the ship, they prepare to enter the passenger compartments. This is what they find. Passengers? Yeah. But alive? Sleeping. For all these years? Suspended animation. And the voice we heard? Android stewardess. Look, here she comes now. Good ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for bearing with us during this slight delay. We will be taking off as soon as we possibly can. If you would like to wake up now, I will serve you coffee and biscuits. Wake up now. Run, What gives, man? What gives? What gives? What gives? What gives? I mean, they woke up. They they all woke up. I was. I've never. I, Passengers are not allowed on the flight deck. Please return to your seats and wait for the ship to take off. Coffee and biscuits are being served. This is your autopilot speaking. Please return to your seats. Go back in there. We're not passengers. Please return to your seats. No, we're not passengers. Please return to your seats. We're not... Hello? Can you hear me? What's happening on this hell ship? There has been a delay. The passengers are kept in temporary suspended animation for their comfort and convenience. Coffee and biscuits are served every ten years. After which, passengers are returned to suspended animation for their comfort and convenience. Departure will take place when flight stores are complete. We apologize for the delay. Delay? Have you seen the world outside this ship? It's a wasteland, a desert. Civilization's been and gone. It's over. There are no lemon-soaked paper napkins on the way from anywhere. The statistical likelihood is that other civilizations will arise. There will one day be lemon-soaked paper napkins. Till then, there will be a short delay. Please return to your seats. We are not. Please return to your seats. Return to your seats. Come on, let's return get out of here. Return to your seats. This way. No, return this to your way. seats. Why? First class. Come on. Return to your seats. 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 Return 
Zephyr Beeblebrox. Uh, who? My name's Zarniwoop. You wanted to see me. Please sit down. And since this is, of course, an immensely frustrating and nerve-wracking moment for the narrative suddenly to switch tracks again, that is precisely what the narrative will now do. Lentilla, are you all right? I think so. Just shattered and drained. Marvin's got Poodoo and the priest under control. They're, um... They're from the cloning machine company, I know. Marvin's tied them up. He's put a cassette of his autobiography in their tape machine and left it running. So I think it's all up with them. I didn't ask to be made. No one consulted me or considered my feelings in the matter. I don't think it even occurred to them that I might have feelings. After I was made, I was left in a dark room for six months. And me with this terrible pain in all the diodes down my left side. I called for succor in my loneliness. But did anyone come? Did they help? My first and only true friend was a small rat. One day, it crawled into a cavity in my right ankle and died. I have a horrible feeling it's still there. As for the third, Alec Mill, well, it's the only time I've ever killed a man in cold blood, and I, I don't feel awfully... He wasn't a real man. He was an anti-clone. There must be millions of them now roaming the galaxy, wiping out my sisters. What's happened to the foot warriors? Oh, the flying chiropodist arrived. They all went off to have a word with him. Are you fit? Yes, I'm fine. Really, I am. Come on, we must get to the spaceport. Coming, Marvin? I suppose so. There it is. Just a mile away. Nice clear day for a brisk walk. See that uh, huge form over there in the distance? Yes. Fifteen-mile-high statue of uh, me throwing a cup. Not often one comes across that sort of thing. Up there, you see, is the cup itself. Apparently, it's held there by art. Wonderful, isn't it? Just a pity our ship's parked in it. Arthur, look, it's coming down. What? God, so it is. The cup's coming down. No, it isn't. The ground's going up. The sky's moving. Sideways. It's folding up. What's happening? Oh dear, I think you'll find reality is on the blink again. And this is indeed what we find. For deep in the heart of the first-class passenger section of the slightly delayed Transtellar Space Line's ship, the following horrifying events have been taking place. Can I get you a drink? Um... Sani Whoop? The same. I think... But, but who are you, man? Why do I want to see you? I was told you were on an intergalactic cruise, which I can handle, but in your office, which I can't. But I assure you, it is true. In what? I, I wonder if... What do you want, Ford? I, 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 a small jank spirit, if there is one. Get the man a drink, Zani Whoop. Or indeed a large one. And one for me. Uh, two for me. There's nothing worse than having only one drunk head. Well, here's to your achievements, eh, for Rebelbrox? Achievement? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. What achievement? Oh, I don't know. I achieved so many things, you know. You have the heart of gold. You have brought it here. Uh, yeah. Into my universe. Yeah. Uh, what? This universe. I created it in my office. You've been in it for quite a while now. Huh? Is it all right if I just go and sit in this corner and get drunk? I may sing quietly if that doesn't disturb you. It's just been... Well, you know how it is. You mean... We're in an artificial universe. Oh, yes. 
All that out there? Yes. Like uh, in your office? Yes. Oh, man, I've heard of open plan, but... It's modelled very closely on the real one, you know? There's just a few differences. But when do we get into it, man? I mean, like, uh, where, when? You didn't notice. Well, I'll let you work it out for yourself. Now you've brought me the ship, we can dismantle this universe, return to the real one, and find what we're after. Can I just ask you some questions? By all means. Okay. Well, for starters, I'll have who, what, when, and where, and then whither, whether, whence, and wherefore to follow, and one big side order of why. And the wine list, please. It's terribly simple. Long ago, you and I and others planned to discover who it was who was ruling the galaxy, who was making all the decisions behind the president's back. I found where he was located and retreated to the safe hiding of the bar in the first-class lounge Ooh, of a forgotten spaceship in a... Well Can we stop that man singing? Hey, Ford! I'll sing something else. In an artificial universe. Meanwhile, you were doing the most important job. You stole the infinite improbability drive ship, without which it would be impossible to breach the barriers protecting his world. And then you brought it to my hiding place. Ford! Oh, yeah? You're still singing. Am I? Mm. Oh, why? Oh, yes, I am. What's the matter? You don't like it? I'll sing something different. Well, Won't you I'll, I'll just bring your ship down. Won't then we can get out of here and get on with it. The major problem, one of the major problems, for there are several, one of the many major problems with governing people is that of who you get to do it or rather of who manages to get people to let them do it to them. To summarize, it is a well-known and much lamented fact that those people who most want to rule people are, ipso facto, those least suited to do it. To summarize the summary, anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. To summarize the summary of the summary, people are a problem. And so this is the situation we find a succession of galactic presidents who so much enjoy the fun and palaver of being in power that they never really notice that they're not. And somewhere in the shadows behind them, who? Who can possibly rule if no one who wants to can be allowed to? Pussy! Pussy, pussy! Coochie, 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 coochie! Pussy want his fish. Nice piece of fish. Pussy want it. Pussy not eat his fish, pussy get thin and waste away, I think. I imagine this is what will happen, but how can I tell? I think it's better if I don't get involved. I think fish is nice, but then I think that rain is wet, so who am I to judge? Ah, you're eating it. Fish come from far away, or so I'm told, or so I imagine I'm told. When the men come, or when in my mind the men come in their six black shiny ships, do they come in your mind, too? What do you see, Pussy? And when I hear their questions, all their many questions, do you hear questions? Perhaps you just think they're singing songs to you. Perhaps they are singing songs to you, and I just think they're asking me questions. Do you think they came today? I do. There's mud on the floor, cigarettes and whiskey on my table, fish in your plate, and a memory of them in my mind. And look what else they've left me. Crosswords. Dictionaries and a calculator? I think I must be right in thinking they ask me questions. To come all that way and leave all these things just for the privilege of singing songs to you would be very strange behaviour. Or so it seems to me. Who can tell? Who can tell? 
I think I saw another ship in the sky today, a big white one. I've never seen a big white one, only six small black ones. Perhaps six small black ones can look like one big white one. Perhaps I'd like a glass of whiskey. Yes, that seems more likely. Perhaps some different people are coming to see me. Yes. What? That shack? Yes. Weird. But it's the middle of nowhere. Oh, come on. We must have come to the wrong place. Knock on the door. Hello. Uh, excuse me. Do you rule the universe? I try not to. Are you wet? Wet? Well, doesn't it look as if we're wet? That's how it looks to me, but how you feel about it might be a different matter. If you find warmth makes you feel dry, you better come in. Oh, uh, sure. Oh, oh that's fine. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Just what, here? Like, man, what's your name? I don't know. Why, do you think I ought to have one? It seems odd to give a bundle of vague sensory perceptions a name. Listen, we must ask you some questions. All right. You can sing to my cat if you like. Would he like that? You'd better ask him that. How long have you been ruling the universe? Ah, this is a question about the past, is it? Yes. How can I tell that the past isn't a fiction designed to account for the discrepancy between my immediate physical sensations and my state of mind? Do you answer all questions like this? I say what it occurs to me to say when I think I hear people say things more I cannot say. Oh, that clears it up. He's a weirdo. No, listen. People come to you, yes? I think so. And they ask you to take decisions about wars, about economies, about people, about everything going on out there in the universe. I only decide about my universe. My universe is what happens to my eyes and ears. Anything else is surmise and hearsay. For all I know, these people may not exist. You may not exist. I say what it occurs to me to say. But don't you see? What you decide affects the fate of millions of people. I don't know them. I've never met them. They only exist in words I think I hear. The men who come to me say, so-and-so wants to declare what we call a war. These are the facts. What do you think? And I say. Sometimes it's a smaller thing. They might say, for instance, that a man called Zaphod Beeblebrox is president, but he is in financial collusion with a consortium of high-powered psychiatrists who want him to order the destruction of a planet called Earth because of some sort of experiment. Um, Should he be allowed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, wait a minute, man. Uh, sit hey, down, wait. Arthur, sit down. Let go of me. Oh, Arthur, you know okay, me. What are you? We'll sort it out later. But it's folly to say you know what is happening to other people. Only they know, if they exist. Do you think they do? I have no opinion. How can I have? Ford, the Earth man, do you think he's... No, but that's not it, you know. That's not it at all, man. But don't you see that people live or die on your word? It's nothing to do with me. I am not involved with people. The Lord knows I am not a cruel man. Uh, you say the Lord. So you believe in... My cat. I call him the Lord. I am kind to him. All right. How do you know he exists? How do you know he knows you to be kind or enjoys what you think of as your kindness? I don't. I have no idea. It merely pleases me to behave in a certain way to what appears to be a cat. What else do you do? Please. I am tired. What was that? I don't know, man. But I didn't like the sound of it. Let's get after the Earthman. Uh, look, sorry to rush, great ruler. Keep up the disinterested work, right? See you around. No, wait! There is so much we must discover. Yeah, later, later. Arthur! 
Holy Belgium, man! So is the sweating ship! Was all that true? Oh, what is truth, man? You heard the weirdo? Fine. Zephyr, whatever may or may not happen from here on in, I just want you to know something. Yeah. I want you to know that I respect you. Great. Just not very much, that's all. What does the future hold for our heroes now? What does the past or present hold for that matter? Will Arthur Dent now embark on a terrible and protracted vendetta against Zephod Beeblebrox? Will he be all right, alone in the universe with only the infinite improbability drive ship, Marvin the paranoid android, Lintilla the archaeologist, Eddie the shipboard computer, a lot of chatty doors, and a battered copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for company? Who will Ford Prefect ally himself with? Arthur Dent, Zephod Beeblebrox, or a large pan-galactic gargle blaster? Will there ever be another series of that wholly remarkable and mystifying entity, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Find out if you can. In that, the final episode of this series of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book, Simon Jones was Arthur Dent, Geoffrey McGiven was Ford Prefect and the Priest, Mark Wing Davy was Zaphod Beeblebrox, Stephen Moore was Marvin and the Man in the Shack, David Tate was Eddie and the Arlitnils, Rula Lenska was the Lintillas and the Stewardess, Ken Campbell was Poodoo, and Jonathan Price was Zaniwoop and the Autopilot. Radiophonic sound and music was by Paddy Kingsland of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Technical presentation throughout the series was by Alec Hale Munro, Lisa Braun and Colin Duff. The programme was written by Douglas Adams, produced by Geoffrey Perkins, and was made with the assistance of a digital writing system.